Welcome to the Bayesian Conspiracy. I'm Ineash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. I'm Jess Dickey. And today we finally got into that feedback episode that we keep talking about. We're yeah. sorry. Want to just jump right in? Yeah, let's do it. All right. At the top of my list here, I've got, I guess, recording bi-weekly makes things pass really fast mm-hmm. or really long time ago, but something like two months ago, Sailor Vulcan was chatting with us about the intellectual dark web and my dismissive mockery of it. So I read the Slate Star Codex post that they posted, and I liked it. I thought it was really interesting. Um, what was the post? It was Slate Star Codex specifically um, talking about the, the phenomena of the intellectual dark web and if it's a thing that pr- provides value or is anything like that. I think I talked about this a little bit before. Like My position on it is that I never really took the brand that seriously. Oh, wait. Um, this is the intellectual dark web, right? What did I say? Well, you're just saying dark web in general. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, no. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I'm following you now. Go on. Yeah, no, that's that's good clarification. And people are like, why are they talking about drugs and child porn? <laughs> the IDW, which <laughs> almost takes as long to say as intellectual dark web. <laughs> right. That is I, one more syllable, I think. I don't think that yeah. the W is just a shitty, shitty name for a letter. Yeah. Because first of all, it's not a <laughs> W. And second of all, so many syllables. Every other letter is like the sound that it makes, right? We should call, I seriously am advocating for calling the W way instead from now on. Wuh. Or wuh. Yeah, wuh works too. <laughs> wuh or way. You heard it here first. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I just go with dubs because people yeah, know that. Works. Yeah, Dubs. All right. Yeah. I like that one, actually. ID dub. ID dubs. <laughs> um, I, th- I can't remember what I said before because I said it's been a couple months, but my dismissal of like the brand was sort of just like, you know, off the cuff. And on Sam Harris's most recent AMA on his podcast, he, he said that he was never a big fan of like the name or anything. He doesn't like labels, period. But right. no, I think that That's there's definitely value to maybe we did talk about this. I think we talked about my response to the criticism, but what we, we didn't talk about is this SSE post because I pulled out a quote that is still here in our notes. So sure. um, from the post was, so quote, my position, if you decide not to hire somebody based on any characteristic not related to job performance, very broadly defined, including things like company fit, fun to work with, etc., cetera, uh, you're trying to exclude people. If you make up a really strained, dumb argument for why some characteristic relates to job performance when it obviously doesn't, communist actors could hold a revolution on set making the set unsafe for other employees or something. Then you're trying to exclude people and lying about it. Is this the same post that uh, where he observed that there's like green and blue or uh, red and blue fast food restaurants now? Like Chick-fil-A is obviously very unblue. Yeah. Like a lot of lot of blue friends will not go there and look at you side-eyed if you do. Huh. I haven't read the post in a while, but I don't remember that being in there. And that's an interesting observation. I hadn't actually heard that or remembered it. Huh. He kind of pointed out there's almost like two worlds forming and, you know, you can't interact with each other, which is uh, kind of dumb because sometimes you just want a chicken sandwich and you don't shouldn't have to worry about if they're on the right team or not. And it basically just duplicates the economy, right? It makes everything half as large my, and duplicated. Uh, yeah, my my thing on Chick-fil-A in, in particular was when I learned about the, the CEO giving money to anti-gay marriage charities or whatever, lobbyists or whatever, I stopped going there. Mm. And then when gay marriage became legalized, I started going there again. Okay, because you figured he'd lost? He, he He's already lost. They're not reversing that decision, mm. I guess. Un- unless that starts looking like it's going to happen, then I'll stop giving him whatever one cent every time I buy a, a thing. <laughs> but I go to Chick-fil-A 10 times a year, maybe, probably mm. less. So they're not getting much from me anyway, but... I wonder why they draw the line at the CEO, though. Like, if 90% yeah, right. of the employees of Chick-fil-A all donated to a particular cause that you hate, such as the Society for Kicking Puppies or something, would people who like puppies then have to 
I think boycott easier, them or is it easier to get data on one person and let's be honest the people mm-hmm. who work for chick-fil-a don't make enough money to give to charity so well okay. <laughs> uh. i mean if they're all religious then they at least make enough money to give to their church i don't think in they theory do. the only person i knew who ever worked there i knew in college and she wasn't religious i uh, knew someone who worked there who said that i mean you didn't have to be religious to work there obviously but like there was sort of an atmosphere and at least the one she worked at where people would be like oh you don't go to church okay then yeah there's definitely an atmosphere uh, when I go there, I feel slightly uncomfortable. Oh, really? It's, like, weird because, like, everyone's really friendly, too. Yeah. But, like, I feel like it's this, like, we're going to be really friendly to you if you're in our in-group. So, I know you're like, not in their in-group, <laughs> and yet they're still really friendly to you. Yeah, but if I go there with my girlfriend <laughs> and, like, have a buzz cut or something, then, like, they're not going to be as friendly. But maybe I'm not, and I'm just, like, over-interpreting based on my own prejudices against people. So, like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, like... My, my interpretation of it is, A, I, don't, I never go inside. I go through the drive-thru. And they're always nice on the radio and stuff or whatever the, the headset. The only thing is <laughs> that I'm guessing is that no one there, like if you ever worked a minimum wage job, like at a fast food place or anything like that, you, you don't have enough energy to give one shit about who you're talking to. Like, you probably don't. They, like the people at Chick-fil-A seem like really, like they, they have seem a culture of... They seem peppy. I don't know how yeah, they do it. Like really good customer service, which is nice, but then it also makes me uncomfortable you guys are being too nice. What's the catch? Yeah, no, that's that's. I think that's the feeling I'm describing. I'm like, what's going on here? Everyone's really happy and they're working at a fast food restaurant. I don't know how they do it. Maybe they pay well. Maybe they can't afford to give to anti-gay charity. I have no idea. I think they do pay better than average. No, don't quote me on that. Yeah, we can. We so can in that case, we should be supporting that. Chick-fil-A because they're helping overthrow the capitalist yeah. regime. See, that's the thing. Like, I think this is all signaling stuff. Uh, yeah. If you looked at all the CEOs of different companies and like boycotted them based on terrible things they believed, I feel like you wouldn't be able to shop anywhere. Also, you would have to boycott everyone because everyone in the world has at least one thing they disagree with you on. Yeah, that's what I was saying. I- I'm sure me and Steven have one thing that I'm like, oh, you believe that thing? You can't be my friend anymore. We'll have to find that. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, but to be clear, I wasn't talking about fast food stuff. Um, and honestly, I wish I'd reread the post because I don't remember really the full context of this. Um, I've got the link somewhere, but it's not readily available. So we'll just power through. Basically, the post was saying that it's exclusion if you don't hire somebody based on criteria that is unrelated to their fit for the job, mm-hmm. their fitness for the job. Mm-hmm. And I think you and I talked about this a bit. I think I threw it into like the censorship episode. <clears throat> yeah. I kind of want to, I have something to say about that too, but it's going to be maybe a derailment. So like. I mean, it's the feedback episode. Derailment is what we're all about. <laughs> that's what we're here for. But I'll power through the, just the, the bold question I've got here at the end. Yeah, that's like, what extreme I Extreme case, to give does this apply to like literally Nazis? So I use the example of like bringing someone into your house and that's maybe a little different than running, you know, working at your store. You know, if, if you owned a mom and pop shop and you needed 10 people to staff it, I feel like it'd be hard for me not to be prejudiced against people. I guess if they had a blatant swastika tattoo, they'd probably have that out while they're on the shift and that would scare people away. So that's a good reason that actually does relate to the job. But yeah. I don't know if they just came into the MAGA hat and the, the workplace mandated a certain like kind of hair catching hat or something. So they'd be wearing that instead of their MAGA one. I don't know. You might be like one, one might be more inclined to hire people that they more ideologically get along with. And that's also, I guess, company fitness. Somewhat like, yeah, you're allowed to choose employees that's basically what i was gonna say a lot of places um i think like aside from maybe strict scientific or like software engineering jobs use behavioral questions only on job tests now the software job i worked at definitely did a behavioral component on the application and uh interview process that i did and i can attest that everybody i spoke to there that I ever came up with was at least on the left side of center yeah um, on most things but you're in denver that's true but I mean, well, I mean, this is kind of a swing state. There's people. Would um, not in? I mean, sure, there is. But in Denver proper, most people are left. Oh, Denver's enough. pretty blue. 
Yeah. That's ah. part of why I moved here. Oh, well, that's what I get for never going outside. So, <laughs> um, All right. Well, Sailor Vulcan let you down. I had this all like ready to talk about, and I kind of forgot the full context. Other than... Well, you you still... We haven't answered, does this apply to Nazis, though? Yeah, but I guess... I mean, there's not really a good... Like, I... Like I said, I think the thing is, is that... Like, what if someone like, is friendly, provides good customer service, there's no outward sign that he's a Nazi. I mean, he's blonde and blue-eyed, but so are a lot of non-Nazis, right? And uh, you just find out that when he goes home, he likes to read Mein Kampf, and he's like, man, this country would be so much better off if we could get rid of all the Jews. The the caveat here that Scott gave, which I think is really important, is that characteristic, you know, any characteristic-related job performance, broadly defined, including things like company fit and fun to work with, mm-hmm. if you're that guy who won't shut up about how the earth is flat or something, every time that someone says, like, look at the sunset or something, right? Like, yeah. whatever. That's not good company fit. Yeah. And so, like, like to, if- to the extent that you're the only person in the office who, like, really wishes all of your Jewish co-workers would die, then, like, <laughs> if that belief ever came out, then it's like, look, you're not a good fit for the company. It has nothing to do with you. Well, it has everything to do with you as a person. <laughs> yeah, yeah. More, more. To, it's not. It's not you. It's me. I don't want some genocidal, you know, maniac in my in my store. So you've got to go. Yeah. Um. But, but if, if you, you never don't knew about it, it, yeah. Then I mean, I I guess if you never knew about it, you'd never know about it. Well, not exactly, if you never yeah. knew about it, but like if he never brought it up, you could still, you know, hire someone to go dig into his Facebook profile and find out what his views are. Or interview his friends if you really wanted to. You'd have but to do that to every employee, and that's awful. First of all, yeah, that's awful. Of course, awful. like, I and think companies do that already. Getting a security Oh, there's, co- there's companies that demand that you give them your face your Facebook password before they'll hire you. Yeah. And I'm like, Garbage fuck, companies. that's not a company I'd ever work for, because you can eat all of my ass. Yeah. But uh, not everyone has that luxury, first of all. And also, should it matter in that case? Like, I kind of don't think it should. Yeah, I kind of, when you first asked the question, I was like, I think i'd still hire him as long as he wasn't actively harassing any of the other like co-workers or if it was like a customer service position you know I mean, yeah but then anything. i'm just waiting for him to show up at you know some maga rally and you know not to rail against these people but whatever it's mm-hmm. 2019 this is what's going on all right um and then you know their their pictures on the news and be like oh look they're still wearing their their zuber's pizzeria t-shirt at you know at this rally you look, probably who, should look, not be wearing them. the zuber's pizzeria t-shirt so yeah. but that's the thing is like I think a company that said you can only wear our stuff when engaging in like morally permissible behavior or something, you know, grotesque like that would also be super turnoffing, right? Yeah. So it's, it's, or like maybe even if they weren't wearing the t-shirt, but when, when this guy, if, if, if they get on a podcast and start spewing a bunch of hate and then someone like goes at them on Twitter and digs up their profile or something like, oh, look, they, somewhere, I mean, isn't it, this what got seems d- like you're James run- Gunn fired? Well, someone digging up this past. Yes, stuff. but there's two important differences there. Okay. And one's slipping away from me, but the most important thing is that James Gunn is awesome. And, <laughs> and, and what he got in trouble for was bullshit. This could be uh, an awesome Nazi. Yeah, and if sort his stu- of, but if his stuff was 10 years know. old, that's yeah. totally fine. Uh, I think Is that totally fine? I think so. Can you go non-genocidal in just 10 years? Yes. Okay. I think, I, mean, you, can go, I think you can go non-genocidal. You can go, from you can go from murderous to non-murderous in like a month. Yeah, okay. Probably less. I mean, the thing we should I talk keep about thinking... the Liam Neeson thing that was going on in last month. Or the oh month yeah, that was neat. It was awesome. The thing I keep thinking about is like, if this was the fifties, you could replace this with, "Does this apply to atheists?" And people would be like, "Well, that's going too far. We don't want any atheists around in our company because you know they were godless, society destroying people." And don't get me wrong, my impulse is completely is completely to agree with you. No. But I think I, when I'm wearing two different hats, if I'm if I'm the person looking for the job, I don't care who my coworkers are as long as they're nice and cool to work with mm-hmm. and good at their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, if I ran a company, I especially a small company that you know couldn't take a big hit like this. You know, if I if there are people picketing out in front of my mom and pop shop, and 
nobody could get in past the sign-wielding angry mob, then my business shuts down. I lose my livelihood, right? So yeah. it's this is actually really reminiscent of um, Peter Singer wrote a great essay probably like 30, 40 years ago called Is Rational Discrimination Always Arbitrary? And it had three thought experiments in it. And one of them was, I think they're all, they're all thought-provoking, but one of them was if you ran a restaurant in you know some racist back hills area in the south or something again not shitting on people from there it's just this was the thought experiment and you're not racist but you realize a lot of your clients are you know you would lose business if you hired this black what do you call it busboy or something um waiter that's what i was looking for so is it racist of you not to hire the person it's hard to, like that's the point is it's hard to say it's a bit of a head scratcher because like on the one hand you're not hiring him because he's black which is like well that sounds like textbook but it's like i'm not that's not really why it's because i'll lose business and it's like well then you should get up and move to a different part but that sounds hard to do for almost everybody right yeah. a lot of people can't just leave their business and their lives and move to a more accepting area although unless you can like jess <laughs> <laughs> i mean but the solutions seem to be pass laws so that they have to hire black people right yeah but i think either this was before no this would have been definitely after that probably but maybe it was before it was widely enforced and thought experiment rules don't apply so. and did the, the the passing of those laws help in those areas i have no idea it's hard to say i mean racists aren't going to hire people just because they're assholes anyway but now if you this guy said hey look you know to his racist patrons like oh you know it was the law and i'm okay with it and then maybe it'd make a few less racist like oh this guy's just as good as everybody else or something right so i don't know i want to say that that, stuff like really did actually help i I think certainly some parts that did i'm not sure how legitimate like the idea of quotas is like if that's actually a thing that people do anymore um i think it's not although i'm not really sure and i'm not i don't know if there's a law for that i don't own a business if that's clear but it'd be hard to see how it wouldn't have helped you know this this is what was this like a mark twain quote about how like traveling makes you less of like makes you hate strangers less or something just because mm-hmm. like it's really easy to hate those you know those terrible brown people on the other side of the world because they're just the worst but then you go over there and like they're just they're like everybody else because everybody's like everybody else because we're all people i think it was actually this yudkowsky quote and this is a rationally adjacent podcast uh, it sounds appropriate it was like we're all the same car with different shades of paint mm-hmm. it's all of our brains are barring you know mutation or damage are like architecturally identical we're all the same. I mean, on one hand, that sounds like a deepity. It's like, of course, we've all known that forever. No shit. But it's like, on the other hand, I don't know. I think he brings it up with the same kind of like feeling of why are we? Why is this even a conversation that anyone's having? You know? So you've decided that it does apply to Nazis or it doesn't? I haven't decided. Okay. I think well, it's just I, it's in bold. So it keeps jumping out at me every time I look down at my screen. No, that's fine. I think if, my, if I had to give one answer, if I ran a small business, it would be I would, I would have to think of an answer, I guess. Hmm. Um, but since I don't, I'm cool with my coworkers as long as they don't suck. And I know. agree with you. Do you think there's a difference between like a small business and a large institutional corporation, though? Yeah, because a company that makes you know forty million a year can afford to take a PR hit. And I'm not sure if that's necessarily true. I was going more with like a company that's a large institution doesn't feel very much like a family. It's just a place where you go, slot in, give your units of production, get units of currency in exchange. Whereas uh, a small business is very much more like a. A social group? It is. Yeah, that's a good point. I think my personal experience there is weird because in software, you tend to be divided into small teams where like you sit with them and those are the people you work with and you might work in collaboration with other teams, but like that's your family there. So it, it kind of fostered that both. And then when I was delivering pizzas through college, there definitely was that familial thing. In fact, half of them lived together. So if um, you if someone on your development team had been like a racist, would you have been able to still work with them if they didn't like say it while on the job? I mean... 
one of my teammates was low-key pretty racist and it annoyed me but not really i mean also his incompetence at his job bugged me too, so, um, <laughs> or how do you know that you weren't just noticing it more i think i was noticing it before i learned of his his i'm just like messing no, with you no no that's a good point <laughs> though um it, it could be it could be that although i i think it wasn't but that's i mean that's certainly a plausible thing that could happen if somebody annoys you for non-work reasons then you start hating their work it's like horn's effect yeah exactly um I feel like my answer is still the same, but now I'm like starting to question it. What was I, your answer? Uh, that I would still hire them, but like as long as it didn't uh, interfere with their job performance as far as getting in fights with coworkers or offending customers. But like ideal world, I want to think that it seems like people kind of would, would self-sort themselves to an extent. I know that some people have financial needs and whatnot, but it just seems like if somebody, uh, if a Nazi went and got a job at like a software development company where everybody was super liberal, it would... They'd probably not work too. out yeah. yeah like it wouldn't be just a matter of their team being annoyed at them they'd be like super annoyed at their team all the time yeah and that, that's like the whole like you know the caveat being if you get in fights with your coworkers or offend the customers and i feel like that would just happen naturally maybe not and if they're good enough at not doing that then like I, then fine let them stay yeah the downside is that sounds like it would lead to like more like we talked about with fast food that makes that that relevant is that you'll you'll end up in this bizarre situation where i was trying to think of what the blue restaurant would be i'm guessing like wendy's chipotle okay it's definitely chipotle i can take that i was thinking wendy's because their twitter is just hilarious yeah and now i guess also gillette apparently yeah depends i I I only heard about it like peripherally i I don't know about this myself i saw it on reddit they had some commercial that was basically waved all the all the flags of liberalism okay but people are like look look where their money goes they don't give a shit this is just virtual signaling to you bunch of idiots they were annoyed (laughs) but it was reddit so everyone's always pissed Um, (laughs) oh man i came up with a not super appropriate theory for everyone on reddit is always so annoyed but now i've mentioned that i had the idea so i've got to share it I imagine many people are on Reddit on their phones on the toilet, and the only time they have enough time to sit and write a comment is when it's not going smoothly on the toilet, right? So, of course, you're going to sound pissed. Right. <laughs> I cannot accept it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to yes. think about that all the time now. Thank you, Stephen. You bet. Well, to be, to be fair, a lot of people just do it when they're at work and hating their jobs and doing yeah, Reddit yeah. their jobs. doing so. the equivalent. No one's on Reddit because they're having a great time rather be, you know, and are happy to be there when there's other opportunities. So maybe that's just true of the internet in general. Did I just solve internet rudeness? Maybe uh, not. I mean, you didn't solve it. You finally doubt the cause, it. though. Yeah. So you were going to talk about Liam Neeson quickly before we went on to something else? Yeah, I'll try and power through. I know we've been at the first one for a while. So what, like a month ago, Liam Neeson, maybe two. I don't know. I think it was like weird. at least two now. He was asked like how he gets that like awesome. We were talking about Mads Mikkelsen's new movie with that revenge porn kind of just like that vibe of like murderous rage. Yeah. Um, and they were like, you know, how did you get that? You know, where did you draw that from with your character for like Taken and those sorts of things? And he said that when he was in his 20s, one of his friends got raped by a black guy. And he apparently, Liam Neeson, walked around, and I forget his exact words, but he was it was specifically not looking for the for the perpetrator. It was looking for any poor set black son of a bitch to give him any shit so they could beat the shit out of him. Yeah. Which is a pretty disgusting thought to have. Yeah. Um, he said he was like this for a few weeks, I think less than a month. And then he kind of woke up and he was like, what the fuck was I doing? And he never, according to his story, got the opportunity to hurt somebody, which is good. And the, re- the reaction that I heard to this was kind of, I guess, what you'd expect. Like I said, if you, you know, you're half high- the people went fucking nuts, which is weird because, yeah. okay, well, let me explain why I think it's weird. I I agree I with you that it's weird. It, my my thing is that I can't imagine a better way for this to have possibly gone. You know, his his crime is for having once been racist. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like uh, another, I think more clarification. Didn't he actually like 
this wasn't like widely known about him, right? He actually like came out, told this story and then said, I used to be like this, but I've changed and I'm ashamed of who I had been and I'm sorry or something like that. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember if it came with an apology or not, but he, it was like, I'm ashamed. And this was, this was, yeah, me. And how old is he? He's in like 65. Mm-hmm. So this was 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, this was during the time when Ireland was still going through its terrorism phase, you know? Maybe he was probably living with car bombs and shit going off in his neighborhood. Yeah, that's a good point. I kind of forgot he was Irish too. But yeah, my thing is, I can't think of a better circumstance for someone to wake up from a a prejudiced position. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody got hurt. Again, according to the story, but I'll take it at face value because everyone else is. How, how, what more could they possibly have wanted? And his only, like I said, his crime is having once had racist thoughts 40 years ago and that he doesn't have anymore and that he feels that like he's ashamed of. To me, this was like a, an inspiring story of growth. He might have changed some minds that day, you know? I guess I, I didn't know what what the mob wanted. I don't what, think they know either. They just want someone to crucify. Either. They're like, you said something racist in some way, and so up on the cross for you time. I guess, yeah. That reminds me, Johnny Depp, um, his girlfriend or wife, I forget, said that you know he used to beat her and stuff and had bruises and took pictures and all that. Well, he just... I think he either I think he won the suit or just like it became public that there, that he countersued for the defamation and he's got surveillance footage of her like being crazy abusive. One time she had smashed his hand so hard that it's lost a piece of his finger. Wow. Um, you know, because he's got some mansion and he's a rich guy. He's got cameras and stuff, and all of them have all this abuse towards her. Mm-hmm. And all the stuff that she said happened was never never on any of this footage. Wow, I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, this this that's was wild. yesterday. I think this, that the news came out about Johnny Depp. And yesterday being, what, 13th of March? So it was interesting because I was reading the comments. There are like people learning about this. And they're like, yeah, I was on the bandwagon. I, I, I'm I, kind of ashamed that I, I jumped on this just because... Because he's a guy. Well, yeah. And, the, you know, this was... Yeah, the whole narrative of a... Uh, guys suck. Well, uh, that and also celebrities. T- uh, yeah. People in, you know, positions of power in particular are going to abuse them and reinforce hierarchies. Yeah, and it it's a drag because that does happen. And yeah. what sucks, and that this is the same every time somebody makes a false false claim whatsoever. Like, um, I'm realizing that I'm picking a lot of like left leaning examples. That's because we the reason I do that and to be an asshole. That's because I expect better of the left. Mm. Like on the right, that guy who tried to who paid that woman to pretend that uh, Mueller raped her. I hadn't heard about that. Oh, I'll find his name because it sounds like I'm, this sounds ridiculous enough that I'm making it up. The whole thing was completely farcical. Well, there was like, that whole uh, two-person team, a guy and a girl who uh, were trying to sting uh, abortion centers into like admitting that they sell baby parts or something. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. I didn't hear about this one. Yeah. Oh my God. It was fucking crazy. That's nuts. Yeah. Well, the, the guy who tried to, to make up this claim against Mueller, nothing happened against him. So he did something else recently. And it was just yesterday, the day before. I think it, in, I can't, it involved another false police report, but I can't remember what it was. There was that right-wing lady who carved a, a bee in her face when Obama was running the first time. Oh, my God. Yeah. 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 So, anyway. You, did, you don't remember that? I, no. She, she's carved a bee into her face and said that a black man attacked her and said something about, like, Obama's going to be the next president or something, right? But why a bee? Uh, for Barack. Okay. And we've done an O for a while. Yeah. Well, I think a B is easier to carve than an O. I guess. Yeah. But uh, importantly, the B was mirror imaged on her face. So it was kind of obvious she did it in a mirror. (laughs) Because everyone's like, that B's backwards. No one would carve a B that way unless they were looking at you in a mirror, huh? That's ridiculous. So she didn't even put it on with makeup. She actually carved this to her own face. Yes. And didn't reverse it. What a fucking idiot. I mean, don't get me wrong. It was all dumb. But that's like the one part of the crime you get right. Right. Well, Uh, I mean, maybe. Maybe. So, so we're just like making fun of dumb rightists now. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I only brought that up. All right, because, let's make fun of the left again. <laughs> well, I only brought that up because all the examples that I bring up are like left-leaning things. Yeah, and I think, and this is, I think Sam Harris put it this way: was that like 
you know, why do you only get on the left for like complaining about being dishonest or intellectual dishonesty as he's constantly complaining about? And he's like, because we expect better of the left. Yeah. He didn't put yeah. it quite so poignantly, but I think that's that's the main thing. And I think I, for I, me I guess because me, it's like, it's quote my tribe. Yeah. And like, I want I want my guys to be the cool guys. If you guys are going to suck like them, why am I even hanging out with you? <laughs> I, I, I'm more along the lines of because I expect people on... I know this is, is this, it's not racist, it's whatever it is, tribalist, I guess, to expect people on the right to attack me, so whatever, but uh, the first time you're like seriously attacked by someone on the left, it feels like you are being betrayed and your allies are suddenly turned on you, and it's really shitty, and it happens a lot, fucking happened to Al Franken, it, it shouldn't, and yet all the time. Yeah, and so the reason I was thinking of the Johnny Depp situation, and then on the other side, the Mueller fabricator it sucks because crimes happen all the time and you know a lot of people do suck and then when somebody makes something up for either to get attention or win oppression olympics points or to try and defame somebody they delegitimize they help delegitimize every legitimate claim and that's crazy annoying so i don't know what to do about it i oh actually i have a suggestion mm-hmm. like as long as i'm talking up my ass and we're already kind of all over the place because uh, reddit's got a big circle jerk about um rape accus- or false rape accusations never having anything happen right, right. just other than the guy getting expelled and you know dragged through the mud for three years while he clears his name and then you know she maybe gets a couple months in prison or something he's like they should reverse the sentence and yeah i think that's a great idea i think that's a fair but the downside is that then like, like if you try to frame someone for murder then you get the uh jail time that he would have gotten if he was found guilty that sounds good for a clear-cut crime like murder where there's a body. But the downside is, like, if you say, yeah, a month ago this guy assaulted me, the, the downside of reversing the, the punishment is that there's not a way to prove either way. So I guess in that case, you just let... There's not an easier solution for that. But if you can prove that it was made up... There was one that I saw years ago where somebody had said that they were assaulted by a professional sports person. I can't remember what... what no, it was basketball or football or whatever. And they, like, said when and where... And another Redditor saw this and he's like, they were on a flight from like Chicago to whatever going to a game at that exact hour. Uh-huh. Like, what are you talking about? So like, if that's the, if it's that cut and dry and you can say, look, it's made up, then whatever. But so often you can't. And if you're... I don't even know about like whatever. I feel like there should be some consequence. It, it, it is really hard to, first of all, like find that person. Did you say that that was like someone had come out and made that accusation or was it just like they they posted it somewhere? The, the football person? Yeah. It, I read this three or four years ago. I can't remember, but for... Let's, paint it as easy as you want for the thought experiment and we'll run with that i think it should be punished just as much as if it wasn't easily disprovable because the whole point is most of the time they're not easily disprovable so when you can disprove it then it should be punished as a deterrent right yeah but i think like imagine if you claimed that like some rich asshole spitballing maybe someone like donald trump assaulted Mm -hmm. you right Mm -hmm. daddy trump has enough money to like bribe the case you know, if he wanted to, there was just that thing yesterday about all those people paying to get their kids into nice schools. If you can, if you can afford to write a twenty million dollar check, you can afford to fake some evidence. Well, so, the, so you, you could turn this around by cheating the system and bribing forensic experts or something, right? I see. Or faking records. Okay. So, like, it sounds appealing and it sounds like a nice, easy solution, but it it sounds so easily scrubbable and it might just incentivize people who actually did get raped by donald trump or someone like him to you know come forward and say something because well i don't think he'd ever get if he actually did rape someone there wouldn't ever be a case of him actually being on a flight towards some during that time no but you could i mean they could doctor evidence of some sort exactly if you if you if you had a million dollars to pay the best forensics faker to fake you a you know plane log or something whatever and then pay a judge to say don't look at the plane log too closely or something i don't know i feel like sneaky things happen in court and the more money you have the sneakier you can be 
But yeah. So okay. Next well, next thing. <laughs> oh, I got a quick, really quick one. This will only take 30 seconds. All right. Richard, you wrote in and said that our episodes are coming out really quiet. So everyone who heard last week's episode, episode 80 on GPT-2, I upped that by whatever the units of things that Audacity uses. Decibels. Is it just decibels yeah. on the slider? Yeah. It wasn't like percentages or something? No, no, no. Right. decibels. So I upped it by 10 decibels. That didn't sound like a lot. Well, because I mean, like one decibel, I could notice. All right, whatever. I'm not a. You did uh, ten up units. I did ten up units. Ten decibels for every every person on the mic. You can hear the difference between one in one decibel change. I didn't think so, but apparently, I can hear the difference on one slider on Audacity. Really? (laughs) Yeah, because I I change it so I'll slide one person down and up, and then hear them sound differently. And you just slide them one. Yeah. Oh, okay, weird. Because I, if I move a slider by one, I never hear a difference. Oh. I mean, I heard the general rule is like humans can't differentiate less than three decibels. That's why I thought it was not decibels. Okay. Maybe I was... You're just super sensitive when it comes my, to decibel hearing. Or my brain's tricking me. In any <laughs> case, episodes should be coming out louder now, assuming that sliding up the decibels on the things actually makes it come out louder. So um, if anyone... No one told us this for like two years. So yeah. if, if everyone's been straining to hear it this whole time, then uh, hopefully that will be a problem anymore. So thanks, Richard um we talked about uh how useful it was to society when everyone was taught basic literacy and basic numeracy even though it doesn't seem like there's any one specific case where like yeah this is really good to have for this job so we should train everyone in it it was mentioned in that episode that uh perhaps simple programming like python is the same kind of thing if everyone was programming literate then we might have huge gains of society equal to something like literacy or numeracy and there was some general skepticism on that point. But Zikaron wrote, I had to stop that podcast right as you were saying you weren't sure what teaching Python would do for students. But in general, teaching programming to students should hopefully increase the amount of logical thinking, falsification, truth table style logic, etc. Even if they never touch programming again and get degrees in French lit. Which is a good point. So for the record, that was some pr- private correspondence between me and him. Oh, was it? So I think he pu- he might have put it on the Reddit. He said it's going to, but okay. I was going to get points for that feedback. So oh, Zeke, right. you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, yeah, no, that's actually a really good point. I can't believe we didn't think of it. Yeah. Certainly, at least falsification, writing unit tests just to think of what would I not expect to see here. That's like the most rationalist question you can ask, yeah. um, or at least the most one of the most scientific questions you can ask. And that sounds crazy valuable. I think and just having having grooved that in at some point, at somewhere in your in your curriculum, if you didn't get it in science, because it's hard to get in science, because it's not often taught the best. It's usually like you know memorize the names of stars or whatever. It's not hypothesis testing, but programming explicitly is if you're writing tests or just doing something, but specifically testing like that too, right? So I thought that was a really cool comment. Yeah, they have started to teach something called computational thinking, where um, it's not strictly programming per se, but it's teaching kids to think in terms of like these exact things neat and i did always notice there was a distinct difference in culture between people who at least were programming adjacent and those who had never done anything similar to that back when i was in high school there was just a slightly different way of thinking about things they're probably used to like thinking precisely and that sounds like it might be putting them on too high of a pedestal but maybe i think more like more used to quantifying things into variables and how they can be manipulated and like which is different from precise thinking and knowing like what it means to assert something and knowing that that means that you can test it in a way that is provable or not. Maybe like a a approach to solving problems. Yeah. And, uh, you know, breaking tasks down. A different listener said, and I didn't copy it down. So I don't remember which listener it was. I apologize. Uh, said that a lot of basic office, office tasks, like the really simple ones that are probably common for accounting or any sort of secretarial position could probably benefit from some quick Python automation where, it would save you time and effort. Oh, that was in the subreddit, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. The downside is that 
your boss learns that and you're out of the job. Um, <laughs> there was somebody who used to come to meetups that... Really? They, I mean, it depends on the job. But like hit, one guy that I'm thinking of, he used to come to meetups. He did a lot... Like a lot of his stuff was... They used like Excel for basically all their like database stuff because it was an old company and I guess they didn't care to do it the right way. But he basically wrote little scripts that would get whatever he needed and store stuff however he needed and all this and that. So his job would basically go in, run whatever script he needed to do and just hang out. And mm-hmm. I'm, I think it was, there's more to it than that, but I mean, his job probably took 20% as long as he <clears throat> was being paid to do it. Oh, I see. So, so like if you're like lying about how much time you're spending, yeah, I guess. That's not lying. Well, it's like it's doing withholding the job the they truth. gave you. Yeah. yeah. You but paid it, me but to it, do a job and I did it. But if they learn how easy the job is, or not how easy, but how easy it could be, you know, if, if one good developer could re- replace your entire data management team. Um, then you should pay them as much as your entire data man- management team. Yeah, like that's going to happen. <laughs> right. But then that also means that one person takes five people's jobs or something like that too, right? So, yeah. But UBI, basic income, sounds like a great great fix to this because that, that's happening you know, whether we want it to or not at some point for most things. So. Yep. I was just thinking um, 10, 15 million Americans earn their income through driving of really? some sort. It's like 3%, 3.2 or 3.5% of jobs. Holy shit. So I guess that's including the total number of Americans, not working Americans, but whatever. It's 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 millions. Okay. And I mean, that's that's going away in the not too distant future. So yeah. Did we talk about Strange Logan times. before on this show? No. Logan the movie? Yeah. I don't think so. Well, just just the ah, one one thing where uh, someone at uh, at the beginning of the movie they have the self driving semi trucks, right? And they're just like barreling along, and uh, one almost runs over Logan or runs him off the road or something. It was it was pretty yeah, intense. Yeah, it like swerves him off the road. Yeah. Yeah, and someone said that kind of you know threw me out of the movie because no system would be programmed to be that aggressive and run people off the road and shit. And my view was like that was really good world building. Because we are living in a crap shack dystopian future where the corporations don't care about people so much that they're like, yeah, haul your shit to the next door and we don't care who you run off the road. And everyone accepts it because the corporations are the only ones with power now. Yeah, hopefully we don't get that world. (laughs) Yeah, right. Sidebar on superheroes. Mm. Uh, I dragged everyone to see Captain Marvel this weekend. And Mm. I guess dragged is the right word for it because it wasn't as... (laughs) It was consensual. It wasn't as resounding of a success as I thought it was going to be. I loved it. So we need votes on who liked Captain Marvel. I liked it. I think like... I meant from from the people, but from you guys. Oh, oh. Yeah, name and shame. Go for it. Inyash. Well, you first, Jess. I just just wanted to say say that I feel like you're uh, being kind of down on yourself because not everybody like loved the movie, but like I like to criticize movies. So the fact that like I was picking it apart doesn't mean that I didn't like it. No, no, (laughs) you're That was what I wanted (laughs) to do. No, 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 not at all. I, oh yeah, I, I said this to Inyash. No, my 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 love of these movies is uh, secure enough that I feel not. I had how did I put it? I had a way that I liked. Um, no, it was it was just that I'm, I'm secure enough in my love of these movies that you guys aren't bumming me out by not liking it. I I just I I'm I'm poking fun. You, if you guys can't hear my smile, it's there. No, I like picking stuff apart too. It was just uh, it was mainly Inyash just like. When you had said something along the lines of, I get the feeling that the writers don't think their audience is smart and just turn out another movie with the exact same recipe and say, fuck you, eat it up. Yeah, yeah. And then you were slightly <laughs> insulted by that, so I, I apologize. I, jo- I jokingly said, I feel personally attacked. Well, okay, so here's my thing about uh, Captain Marvel. I thought it was just not a good movie in terms of movies in general. It was kind of lazy. There was no character building. There was no stakes. I never really cared about Miss Marvel or, her st- or Captain Marvel or her struggle. And... 
when I looked back on it, it was very much a that sort of thing where things don't have to make sense. We don't have to make you care about the character. We don't have to really do anything aside from follow this basic script. We know you're all going to come and watch our movie anyway. And I just felt like the creators of the movie had a casual contempt for the audience, like you said. So I, I think it's just generally a downright bad movie. But the thing is... I have seen a lot of people who really, really love it, and almost all of those people are of the female persuasion, and so I think there is something in it that talks to people. Uh, like, there's a really brief, like, minute and a half, maybe two-minute montage of people being sexist to her, and her, like, trying to do things, and everyone's like, you can't do that because you're a woman. You know why they call it a cockpit, right? And I was like, that is, okay, that's infuriating, sure, but that is just, like, not enough that doesn't show us personal struggle that doesn't really show us her being hurt it's a brief montage but apparently it really talked to a lot of people who have that experience in their own life and they didn't need to see it like fully brought out in the story they were just like oh yeah i've had that happen to me too and just an instant emotional hook for them because like you don't need to show me all that i am on her wavelength right now so it may very well be a movie that is just not really for me that talks directly to one audience and, and i think it might be like the harry potter and the methods of rationality for um women sort of i don't want to say for women in general because that's way too broad but i think uh, you're gonna raise the eyebrow from our, yeah, our local woman but I, when people rag on how harry potter and methods of rationality is all about like this bratty uber smart uber mensch guy and nobody can stand him i i think i haven't heard him described as uber mensch <laughs> okay but I'm i, I sure think probably someone it. has done it i think the reason a lot of us really love it is because we instantly recognize our struggles and the shit we went through when we were kids when we read harry and so you don't need to do a lot more to win us over we're like I know that person. I was that person. Oh my God, this is perfect. I was I'm that smartest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, maybe maybe Captain Marvel is the same thing for a certain audience. That's possible. I mean, for what it's worth, I brought up, put this out there. I brought up the, we need a poll from like the, I was going to have like people vote on Reddit whether they like the movie or not. I didn't mean to, to derail us on it for more than five seconds, but I don't know. I think I might suffer from what Paul Bloom calls like, Marvel uh, derangement syndrome. <laughs> I was going to say like uh, pathological <laughs> empathy or something. Ah, uh, okay. In that, I I didn't have to be a woman to really. I guess I know women. I think that's normal empathy, Stephen. Yeah, but that you can empathize with someone who's not you. <laughs> <laughs> with someone who's not so like, not me, precisely yeah. not. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I saw her struggle, and not not through my own history, but through history of you know that I've imagined from what I've heard, mm. you know, um, from from women in my life. So, but like, it's not like like masters of sex had a beautiful like several episode arc where you really see how much she struggles because she's a woman in these it was either 50s or 60s and just in general how they're so easily dismissed and the few women that make it big what they have to go through and uh madman it just made my blood fucking boil to the point where i couldn't watch it and this had none of that this was just like here's the thing that happens sometimes so to be fair if Mar if madman was only two hours long Mm -hmm. then it wouldn't have had time to get your blood that hot, right? I only watched one one-hour episode. Oh, okay. I, it, it pissed me off enough I couldn't watch anymore. I completely retract my my statement. So I think that they, they tried to walk the line between, like, this isn't just the story of a woman who overcame people being a dick and proved to be crazy awesome. They, they tied it into the 20-movie-long saga of the MCU in mm -hmm. a way that I thought was fantastically done and loved. But what but, did she do to become awesome? She was... It, she was hit by an explosion. Almost none of them did anything. Like, well, let me rephrase that. So, like, I mean, we could go through the the, the roster, but 
the 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 powered individuals on the team maybe two of them earned it mm-hmm. like unless they're gonna i guess steve rogers maybe because he was cool enough to get the shot but whatever like he didn't to quote iron man everything special about him came out of a bottle right and no so, because like you, you his, his character you know his his personality maybe was his um but her, so was hers you know she could have been an asshole she could she could have you know so well what was her personality she i so i liked her character a lot more than i liked wonder woman's Okay, and I'm 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 saying this as somebody who saw Wonder Woman three times. I think Wonder Woman her her I loved her, I loved it a lot more the first time. Her like adorable naivete becomes super unbearable on subsequent rewatches. Like you watch this and she she it's not just that she doesn't know what stuff is. That's that's quaint and adorable, and that was fun with Thor when he was from space and yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's that she and never Captain she, America because he was from the fifties. She yeah, never awesome. gets it though. The okay. whole time she's just like, "Why do people have watches? What's war? Why is everyone being a dick?" Eh. And <laughs> again, that's that's how it sounded on the third watch. Like yeah. I know, and there, there were a lot of moments I loved in that movie. And she also overcomes her struggles. Again, she didn't earn her powers either, right? But well, but didn't she get them? I mean, like I know she was some kind of special race of super women or something. But she, didn't she also train her entire life? She trained, but she was the daughter of Zeus. She probably would have been strong no matter what, right? Okay. So, but 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 that aside, the point is, isn't like. No, but whether or not they earn their powers through being awesome, like maybe Iron Man did. But on the um, naivety thing, real quick before we move on, the first of all, I love all the naive fish out of water characters, which I've told you multiple times before. I love Thor and Captain America for the same reason. But um, one of the things about that sort of naive character is that it lets you see your own society from a new point of view, like from someone who's completely shocked by these things. And to just stop that after a half hour is kind of like lame. You got this cool way to explore society by pointing out how weird it would be from someone outside of it run with it for the whole epi- you know length of the movie or at least i like that because seriously why do we have war it's fucking stupid and i mean i know why we have war but if i didn't looking at it from someone from the outside I'm like oh my god i can't believe these people do this shit no that is a lot of fun and it's a great thought experiment like i think daniel dennett saying putting on your your three your three alien shoes and standing in that position to see the world. That said, I've got to plug, I'll have to find the name. I'll put it in the episode um, description. There's the series of adorable comments, comics with these little blue aliens. Oh yeah. And it's like, here, I've handed you your present and it's concealed. They're like, Oh, thank you. It's like, no, you must destroy the concealment paper right now. I want to watch. And it's like just someone getting a birthday present, but it, yeah. it's, it's putting it from a perspective of someone who doesn't know any of the stuff is, and it sounds hilarious and they lay it all out. Um, and that is fun. It's cute. I think, We've probably gone on Captain Marvel too long. I okay. liked it a lot, and I totally understand and see why you didn't like it. Mm. And I totally support picking things apart and being annoyed at, at inconsistencies or um, at least noticing them. I've got nothing against any of that stuff either. Yeah. So, uh, moving on. Okay. All yeah, right. Probably back to feedback. Yes. This is um, what you get when you get a feedback episode. Let's <laughs> <laughs> talk about movies. Uh, real quick, so we can get through this from Rockham. Rockham? Is it pronounced Rockham? Sounds right. Okay. Yes! Now my expertise comes out! <laughs> Uh, this was when we were talking about derivatives and what they are. A derivative is any kind of financial contract whose value is based on something else. For example, I bet the stock price next week will be between $10 and $15. If I am wrong, I will pay you $1. A simple example why derivatives are helpful to the real economy are airlines. The airline will say, I bet jet fuel prices will go way up. If that's true, the airline wins the bet and uses the earnings to offset their losses on jet fuel. Either way, the airline wins. That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) It's useful to realize that a derivative position that's 200 times higher than an equity position is not necessarily 200 times worse. In my first example, you could lose at most $1, but your books would say that you have a derivative on $15 worth of underlying. 
That kind of sounds like the rationalist magic stuff we were talking about, only with real money. Rationalist magic stuff? We had David Yusuf on like six, eight months ago. Yeah. Yeah, this sounds like less magic and more math, but I like it. And someone someone might try to forgive me for saying this, David, if you're listening, but someone might try to to pass this off as like I'm being arcane and mystical when really they just, they they know uh, derivatives. But is that like a, I guess, financial industry ins and outs what's like the field that that lives in finance finance thank you god now you know how well educated i am (laughs) money just not into the business world very much (laughs) well there's multiple meanings of derivative but that's the money one right there's also the math one and the language one yeah are there others i think that's it maybe rockham has a second one on here that's uh on the same episode oh yeah and also about money yes this is this is your wheelhouse i'll let i'll let you guys read this i can't talk uh, I'll read it. Uh, Rockham also wants to emphasize that those two guys from Yukowski's post, Merton and Scholes, are big names in the world of derivative pricing. Their model might not be, in scare quotes, true, but it is so darn useful and near accurate that it's still the way that you introduce anyone to the subject. Hearing how their company failed kind of feels like how it would feel to learn that Newton died by falling off of an apple tree. <laughs> <laughs> So these That's were those wonderful. guys who just kept investing and wouldn't let their ship sink. And, yeah, okay, and yeah. lost tons and tons of money. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I was the person that didn't realize that those were real people. I was kind of like, man, those guys for the example are idiots, though. Nobody in real life would do that. And then somebody pointed out, I think they're real. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> in your defense, it seemed indefensibly stupid. So so stupid that it would have to not be a real person. And I wonder, it sounds, and and I'm assuming Rockham knows more than I do, so I'll, t- I'll take their word for it. But my, my impression was that they were just conning the whole time. Like, No, no, no. Well, but I think I, my impression from reading the post was that like you go on long enough, and you you, it's like those alien cultists that like thought that their alien ship was trailing behind Halley's comet or something. Mm-hmm. So they bought that big telescope, and then when they didn't see it, they blamed the telescope manufacturer and tried to return it. Okay, um, I thought it was like that. Where like they were deluded. Uh, yeah, they were deluded for sure, but supposedly they believed in their own model right, and enough right. to keep betting on it. Yeah, I sort of, I always sort of assume that the ringleaders of any cult is. Uh, yeah, but like, it wasn't. I think they were taking the hits after a while, and they just kept like. They kept running with it. Yeah, yeah. but I thought it was kind of like some sort of Ponzi scheme stuff. But the post didn't get into much about how they were doing all of this. I, I, I assumed it was some shady, you know, like I'm huckstering you. No, I think if it was that, that we would have heard about it. The same we did about Madoff. I didn't hear about Madoff. Yeah, and also they would have oh, actually made about money off it. Madoff was the guy who went to jail for his gigantic Ponzi scheme, the biggest one in history, cost literally billions of dollars. Dope. Man, life gets easy. You, you, you get to live life on easy mode if you're willing to live without ethics. Well, I mean, kind of. sort of. Unless He's in jail now. Yeah, yeah, kind of. That's, that's fair, yeah. Speaking of cult leaders, and since I got the Avengers in my mind, there was a movie called, it's actually really fun, um, Bad Night at the El Royale. It sort of did like a little anthology thing where they all check into the seedy motel that's like on the border of I think Nevada and Utah and like half the hotels in Nevada half is in Utah but that's not really interesting and then it does like you know room four room five and it does like what was going on because like you see kind of little bits and then brings all together and the crazy cult leader in that movie was Thor (laughs) actual Thor or the actor yes oh okay neat (laughs) yeah it was Chris Hemsworth but did he was he he, he, didn't, ha- he didn't. He didn't have his hammer. He wasn't Thor. I okay. call Chris Hemsworth Thor. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I see the confusion. Yeah. Because if he's a crazy cult leader, he could, in theory, claim to be Thor and have followers that way. Yeah. I mean, it could have been some other actor entirely who was just like, "I am Thor. Worship me." 
It was a fun movie. Okay, sorry. And, I'm, no, no, yeah. no, 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 you're totally good. Um, no, this it was just, it was one of those bizarre sex cults. It doesn't really explain what made him so appealing other than like the fact that his, he didn't wear a shirt that closed and it was awesome. So um, <laughs> who, who isn't into bizarre sex, right? Right. Um, <laughs> Did he look like Chris Hemsworth? Yeah. Okay. With a weird mustache, but uh, I can't remember if it was like a goatee or something. It was something weird. No, it wasn't a goatee. Whatever. One of those U-shaped mustaches. It worked on him. Okay. Um, and then the dude was in it. He was great. Oh, from the Big Lebowski. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I like how you're just referring to actors as the other roles that they've played. I don't, and not the I, names. only actors' names I know are. I also Avengers, do that because I don't know actor names. Um, okay. I, I got it. His name was because uh, he was also Obadiah Stane in the first Iron Man movie. Um, the the dude was. Okay. Yeah. So I I refer to people by other stuff they've been. I don't know anyone's names now. I don't know his name, which is ridiculous because I know his name. I refer to him all the time, and yet you have somehow catapulted his name out of my brain <laughs> and drake's not here so we can't ask him oh all right uh, gonna next me. comment okay so uh elk 12 jeff bridges <laughs> sorry <laughs> uh anyway elk 12 429 was talking about chess i forget when we were talking about chess exactly but uh oh said, yeah we should start dating these for the future we should yeah because we put um, in eight days ago but that was eight days ago when we grabbed the post so also, we should put what they're in reference to. There was a chess question, and Elk says, Heads up on the chess question. There are chess championships, which are open to anyone regardless of gender, and women's chess championships. The dual system recognizes the most excellent women, but the top handful of women are able to compete in both. I think we were awesome. talking about, um, I forget his name, but the guy who like trained his daughters to be really awesome at chess. Uh, yeah. It might have been that, or there's something after to that, too, where I was saying that there was... Um, that they segregate chess championships. Oh, yeah. Well, th- that then, was probably in response to you saying that. Yeah. But I can't remember if I learned this before or after if this is the same thing that I talked about that brought this comment. But Apparently, they kind of only have to. Like, there's the, like, open to anyone and then the specific women's ones. And I understand that the reason that that is is that there's, there's less women that play chess. Yeah. So that's, like... And that's one way to keep people engaged. But I think, I think I learned this after. There was somebody who competes at chess at the national level who was commenting about this on Reddit. They were saying that the bar for being a grandmaster at chess is lower for women in whatever this guy was competing in. Huh. And that I think it was like a scale of 25 or something. And anyone 23 and up was a grand champion. I, I, I make well, it, it may just be because there's less women in yeah, the that's what I women's would championship. Assume. It could be. But he was annoyed because he would like, I think for whatever it was, if he was a woman, he would be a grand champion. But since he's not, he's not. Well, if it's and, only like the top 2% in, in your league can be grand champion, then if there's less people in it, the... the raw point number is going to have to be lower i think it was the same competition though uh, but yeah but like, whatever it is it was some okay. weird thing that I, dude could always just transition and become a woman then join the chess championship <laughs> but there's a reason he's not doing that huh or he could try to do what i did at the pot store once which was it was women's wednesdays where they got like half off and i just told the guys like i'm a woman and he i was i know I, hey, I, I said if i said if i said i was a woman would you give me half off uh, and he kind of was just like I, I I don't know, man. And I'm like, I'm not going to push it. That's fine. Um, but I, I was sort of annoyed at, the, you know, it's like, whatever. Um, but that was me not really sincerely doing that because I'm not an asshole. I, well, I did the I did say that to the guy, but I didn't push it because I'm not a dick. There's that guy who goes around suing nightclubs for ladies nights, which seems like a dick move. Cause Does he not have a point? Uh, I don't know. Like, they're trying to just get more business. Yeah, no, I understand absolutely the business justification for it. It's the same reason we don't hire black people in racist towns, right? <laughs> Is it? I'm actually thinking about this. No, I, I, I don't have any opinions about this because I haven't really thought about it. Well, because guys will go to where the women are. Uh-huh. And, and if women can drink free, they'll go to where the free drinks are. Exactly. So and it's a then you bring in paying man. customers. Yeah. yeah. So do you have a problem with it? No, not necessarily. Aside from the fact that it is discriminating based on gender. I guess. 
you know, if if we have said that we are not cool with that in society, is the uh, exception unless it's ladies' night? I don't go to ladies' night things because I don't want to get hit on by like all the dudes that come there to like hit on people from ladies' night. So right. like, there's some more effects going on there, but I don't know. I don't I don't have enough brain power to make a like opinion on this right now. I just I guess to me is it it always comes back to are we actually against gender discrimination in all forms at all times? And just <laughs> I'm just imagining you putting this in a letter that's dressed dear intellectual dark web. <laughs> Do it. No, no, I don't I I honestly don't care about ladies nights. I'm just interested on if we as a society do have that principle or if we have exceptions. I want to see smart people debate about this so I can steal their opinions because I'm like drawing a blank. Um, There's probably this happening somewhere. So I don't know about the smart people part, but... Is there like a... I, I guess it, I'm not a lawyer is kind of my answer. Like I know that you can refuse service to anybody for no reason or for whatever reason you want. Uh, and generally. So like, I mean, I, I remember even going to gas stations that we're going to refuse service to anyone for any reason, just like mm-hmm. the sign that they post, mm-hmm. which is basically the way of saying like, if you're acting weird, we'll kick you out. Mm-hmm. But the sign doesn't say that. It says we can refuse service for any reason. I would assume if it's your company, you can give free stuff to whoever you want. Yeah, but there's also the um, public access laws where if you are a public facing company, you have to treat all customers equally. Like if you are selling shoes you can't kick out black people you can't kick out women you can't oh, be like we like will the gay not birthday serve you. Cake thing. or yeah the birthday cake thing too i guess but um the law was originally passed to allow black people to eat at diners with white people they're like if you're a public facing company you have to serve everyone who wants to give you money to get your product and that's that's it you don't get to say no you're black so we won't sell you a sandwich maybe, maybe these bars get around that by serving everybody but only some people have to pay uh, well, I mean, from what it sounds, sounds like, they aren't getting sa- away with it anymore because someone took it to court and won. I think this was like, you know, one guy doing this to several bars in one state or something. I don't think that it has w- changed the, the I believe legality. the state was Colorado. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, I assumed it was Florida. What happened exactly? I Apparently, I don't have the details. I, my and he won is the thing. That he, he went to several nightclubs or bars or something on ladies' nights and tried to get free drinks. And they said, sorry, ladies only. And he's like, aha, I got you for discrimination. And then sued and won a few times to different at different establishments. Hmm. I assumed it was just some asshole trying to make some easy money. No, I uh, think it was, no, an actual dude with principles who uh, wanted to see if the law applies. No, I always assumed that he was making in hundreds of thousands on each of these lawsuits and was just doing that for a living. How so. do you make money on lawsuits? Don't people make money like suing McDonald's for hot coffee and this? Don't get me wrong. She was disgustingly, intensely injured. Oh, I heard another but... person come back and say that actually the McDonald's coffee wasn't hotter than any of the other coffee being served at the time. But the, in the, case, the debate won't. continues. Yeah. In the United States, state courts in California, Maryland, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin have ruled that ladies' night discounts are unlawful gender-based price discrimination under state or local statutes. Hmm. However, courts in Illinois, Minnesota, and Washington have rejected a variety of challenges to such discounts. Weird. Yeah. The more we talk about this, the more I think I'm against ladies' night. But I have to think about it more to form like a coherent opinion rather than just a gut instinct thing. I'm... I don't like I said, I'm not. I, I don't really care <laughs> one way or the other thing. because I don't go out and I think most people like them. And if most people like things and they aren't hurting people, then whatever. But I think they do go against the principle of gender equality. So that's my opinion on that. It also, goes against the principle, but whatever. Yeah, and it's also like weird. Like, I'm non binary. Do I get a drink? 
Yeah. <laughs> John Barry Nine. I mean, are they? I guess that depends on whether they're giving the drink based on gender yeah, like or what on are, sex. Yeah. What are they exactly? Yeah. How are you know? Th- th- that's what I'm getting weird vibes off of it from. Yeah. I'd rather everybody just get treated equally. Now that I, you know, kind of am thinking about it. But then you're imputing on a company to do whatever it wants with its own company, right? So I guess. I mean, a bunch of big government <laughs> leftists. This is hard. I'm, communists. I'm done. <laughs> Let's make an episode about this later. I don't have an, I don't have a lot to say about it. I was just throwing that in there because it was somehow vaguely related to the chess thing, which I should have saved that guy that post about the guy talking about chess championships and stuff because I thought it was relevant. But then, in my defense, I thought we were going to get to this sooner. So, so not without incident asked. Um, I'm not a writer, so I'd be curious about Inyash's opinion. And I think this was before we had Jess on as a as a co-host. And you're also a writer, so yeah, I want your feedback on this I'm not published, but yeah, but do- I write things. It doesn't seem to me like most be- best-selling authors are sellouts. Obviously, some are, but even looking at sci-fi, not generally the case. For example, Ready Player One may seem like pandering, but based on the on interviews, it also seemed like exactly what Ernest, Ernest Klein wanted to write. God, I butchered that. That's why you guys read these. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think Not Without Incident has a very, very good point. And for the most part, every single, with a few exceptions, uh, everything I've seen that catches on and becomes bestseller is something that the author did really want to write and feels, you know, strongly for and is not just like making a cold calculated cash grab. To be honest, I, in my personal experience, I've only run across that once and it just really left such a bad taste in my mouth that I remembered it. I'm sure it happens every now and then. I hear James Patterson does it constantly. Uh, I know the creator of Garfield did it, but it, it really doesn't happen very much. So if I gave the impression that it does, I'm really sorry. I think what I was more on about was that... You were channeling that you wrote a non-traditional book and it didn't become a New York Times bestseller yet. Well, no. <laughs> right. Not even that. I mean, sure, that's it's not as optimal as writing a bestseller would be in any case. But no, the thing is, you read a lot and you start to kind of see what will become a bestseller and why and it's just kind of i like- understand why people like it uh, so i don't know i don't remember where this video was so i can't link it but all the most popular movies games books anything any sort of media the most popular ones always have the same message and that message is always you were right all along yeah neo in the matrix the main story of that uh, the main message of that movie neo was right all along harry potter yeah, he started out being, you know, living under the stairs. Everyone hated him. He was right all along. A- a- any sort of story that's really affirming and that people love is a solid st- story that the main message is you were right all along. And I just am bored with those now. <laughs> and yeah. I'm trying to think if that applied to things like Worm. I guess specifically just Worm because Ward isn't finished and I read Wild, those other stuff. And almost a little. <laughs> I, I'm like wondering about that. Finally, I, everyone was, was working together. Yeah, well, like she, she's also a, what is the word? A unreliable protagonist, so. Unreliable she, narrator? I, or unreli- yeah, that's it. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, well, we spoiled it. No, I mean, well. it's not. Not I, really. That's not really a spoiler. Because it's never explicitly said. In fact, I didn't really think of that until you pointed that out a couple, a couple weeks ago when we were chatting about it. Really? I mean, there's t- there's times definitely where like she's unreliable for like explicit in-text reasons, like she's blind or something. But that was like for the narrative of that those scenes. But it didn't occur to me until like mainly, I guess, when you had me reflect on it and listening to We've Got Worm. But like, yeah, you're um, in her head the whole story, and of course, like, and it makes sense to me because yeah. I I totally feel where she's coming from all the time. But then it occurs to me like she totally feels where she's coming from all the time, and I'm in her, her in her head. So I guess I would. But I guess I didn't think about the unreliable narrator thing until you pointed it out to me. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. That I was, was enthusiastic. Pretty much my thought. I'm sorry. I was eager to to 
join in on how I was enlightened by that and then ruined <laughs> the point. Let's see. It kind of maybe you know, it's kind of like your your thing with like the generic superhero movie. Mm. It's like here's the recipe for a superhero movie. Go forth and make it. Aha! That you guys all enjoyed it, just like we all knew you would. Yeah. And so, like, there's been that suite of um, like basically child battle mo- battle royale movies that are based off of books that have been coming out in the last five years, like The Hunger Games and Divergent and other things like that, mm. where it's like all exactly the same, some dystopic future with tribes of humans that don't get to choose their tribes, and then one's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um. That that seems like a recipe, and I can't believe that the third or fourth person to do that thought that they had an original idea, right? <laughs> right. Maybe they did. Then I mean, again, that's not really fair because like, but there's a hundred movies where like the person's secretly a wizard. Yeah, but it, <laughs> it doesn't have to be an original idea. It was just someone who thought, oh, that's a really cool concept. I want to write something like that, and they did. It doesn't have to be original to in spark a passion in someone. Yeah, that stories I think are unoriginal. I mean, really, I, there's only seven stories in the world, right? Well, uh, not really, but. What's that from? Uh, it's it's an old theory of, not even literature, just theory of storytelling in general, that there's really only seven basic stories. And sometimes the number fluctuates. Sometimes there's only three. Sometimes there's only 12, whatever. But it comes down to there's only so many broad general categories that you can more or less fit everything into. But that doesn't mean things aren't unoriginal. If you have a summary of that whatever analysis i'm interested in reading it sounds like something robin hansen might notice or point yeah, out yeah i think like the it, i think it's true for um mainstream stuff uh i don't know i like to read weird experimental short stories that are just like xeno fiction which i don't think fall into any of them but like depends what you're counting what's xeno fiction or like starfish alien fiction like uh somebody is just basically trying to get into the head of the most inhuman thing they can imagine and kind of describe stories about them or their daily lives okay like uh, three worlds collide from the super happy's point of view yeah okay. stuff like that that sounds cool that sounds awesome yeah it is all right yeah i don't I, I without knowing what these categories are and how to tell a story it'd be hard to say how that fits in oh um, well whenever i mention it it's also kind of tongue-in-cheek because it's said so much and on the one hand it's a truism and on the other hand it's complete bullshit so i think you can like pick like nitpick it like technicalities about stuff like xenofiction or maybe like weird forms of fan fiction or like Poetry, you just dig your but, heels in and say that's not really story or something <laughs> no I'm not, yeah i'm not saying it's not really story i don't know like I, I think that yeah you're basically what you were saying is just that like it's kind of true in a sense and then also you can like nitpick it and find fringe examples where it's not true I, I, maybe there's like seven stories that just really resonate with people because that like describes our experience for the most part the seven basic experiences that sounds fun i need to learn more about reading and writing i guess i know how to read and write that's where my education on the subject stopped so <laughs> You guys are the ones who write and attend workshops. It's more like and all analysis that. stuff. I also can't do that. I'm working on it. I think you're better at it than you think. I'm getting there. Well, I'm trying. Zikaron says one of my favorite TED talks is about the three metrics that allow us to continually break more records. The TLD, TLDW? Too long, didn't watch. Oh, okay. Is one, better training. Two, better tech, such as lighter shoes with more friction. Three, genetic selection, such as going to the middle of Africa and finding the fastest man in the world. Also, we know how much faster tech improvements make us, so we know how fast the record breakers from decades past would be if they ran today. Uh, I would like to say I also saw that video. I also thought it was freaking awesome, and so we will post a link on our website, thebaysandconspiracy.com, with a link to that TED Talk. Sounds dope. I didn't actually watch that yet, and I'm interested. So it's not just the case that we're better, stronger, and faster. Well, he said that's part of it. Yeah, it is part of it. Okay, yeah, but it seems to be implying we know exactly how much faster tech improves. It's not like you're saying that if we gave whatever the 1950s gold medalist in sprinting you know new running shoes on a good track that they'd be able to keep up with today's 
speed speedsters. Yeah, right. I think he's saying that we could calculate how fast they would be today. We could calculate how much they would lose today. By. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. So there's gotcha. better training. There's better. Uh, you know, there, there's a wider pool of people to grab athletes from. This reminds me of um, the Slate Star Codex post yesterday, which was "Does reality drive straight lines on graphs, or do straight lines on graphs drive reality?" Where I'm wondering, like, how far can we take this? Continual improvement. I think I said that when we talked about it last time, too, so I shouldn't go on my transhuman spiel again. We haven't had an explicitly transhumanism episode, have we? I, we I have you one. You guys did before I was on the show, but I might be misremembering. It was like episode in the late teens, I think. Uh, well, maybe time for could do it part to two. revisit it. Yeah, because yeah. it's been a couple years. All right, next one. Calvin321 says, Everyone thinks they are an above-average driver because people don't agree on the correct metric to judge good driving. The speed safety trade-off is different between people. Strategies such as when to change lanes is debated or how to handle heavy traffic. When is rolling through a stop sign permissible? Never? God, no. <laughs> Sometimes that is. Uh, does always stopping make you a good driver or a terrible rule follower? And so forth. But I can see how every individual person can see that they think they're an above average driver because by their metric, there's but, a lot of yeah. shitty drivers out there, but those drivers are just using a different metric, which they think puts them, you know, is the correct way to drive. Yeah. yeah. I can see that. That's a good way to put it. There's like a book I want to highlight again. I feel like I've mentioned this maybe twice on the podcast before, but um, there's a book called Traffic, Why We Drive the Way We Do. And it's like a book on kind of the psychology of driving. And they talk about a lot of this stuff in this book. And that was pretty uh, cool for me because I kind of like got really upset about driving since I have to drive a lot. And a lot of rules of the road are not like explicit. And uh I want them written down so like you know the stuff you learn in driving class when you're first getting your license is not like the stuff that people do on the road and we're running into that with self-driving cars too having to train the ais and all the like implicit driving stuff that you're supposed to just pick up through experience the one thing that i thought was pretty cool that I, like i learned from this book is that there's basically like two styles of merging that everyone does and people seem to kind of just learn one or the other i guess through like whoever taught them through experience but there's early merge and late merge and there's these two schools of thought uh, where if everyone were to just start early merging, which is where, say, that there's a line of traffic and you're on a ramp trying to merge into the left, you would pull all the way up as far as you could before merging. And then you like kind of zipper merge or whatever. There's also other merge styles at that point. And then there's early merge where people try to get in as soon as possible so as not to do the thing where they're like pulling all the way up, which seems rude to them. So I'm saying this because I'm a uh, early merger. Me too. Yeah, and there it, are it dozens, was... <laughs> dozens of us. <laughs> well, apparently, if, it's if... the objectively worst way to merge. No, actually, apparently either one works great as long as everybody's using the same one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which I thought was really funny because I thought my way was right until I read this. Wait, what's what's the point of early merging? Because I want to say when there's construction, you you're going from two lanes to one, and the point where you only have one lane is shitty because much less traffic can get through. So you, why, why make that one lane area even longer by merging like a block earlier? My, have it be two lanes as far as you can have it be two lanes. So until I just learned that this is not the objectively best way to do it, my thinking was that I see the assholes in nice cars go speeding up to the speed limit to slam on their brakes at the cones <laughs> and then force their way in and cause see, this cascade of people slamming on their brakes. Okay, well, first and of all, don't speed up and then slam on your brakes. Generally, Inish. you just drive like a normal person, and then when you get to the end, you zipper in. Yes, the philosophy behind early, uh, early merge is that it's easier to get in early on because cars are spaced out further apart. That's what I do. I don't force my way in. I get over when there's room, and I'm like, so I can save 30 seconds and get to the front of the line, or I'll just get there when I get there. To me, to me, it's 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 the passive way of driving. Okay. Hey, you but, guys just found something you disagree on. 
Damn it, Steven. This we what, can't this be friends anymore. <laughs> Weren't you looking for one so you could double croaks? That's right. Yeah. This well, probably think... isn't important enough. We'll find it. We'll find a way. We'll find a way. It to might be funny anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's exactly it. Is I, I let people in when I can. But I can see, you know, in in the event that that's, that's not the best way to do it, I will, you know, I'll keep that in mind. But really, it's just like, when is there a safe opportunity? Like, maybe it depends on the area and how, like, like, like just said, it's... How everyone else is doing it. If they're all doing it the same way, both will work. But since that's not how it works, neither work, it looks like. I've, I've literally seen this going to the point where it was more than one stoplight from where the, the actual construction started, which is just ridiculous. It screws over the people that want to turn left or want to turn right before you get to the uh, the construction. And also, you just it's so unnecessary. So driving's dumb and robots should do it is what I'm hearing here. <laughs> but okay. it's hard to teach robots how to do it because we're... We don't really know how to do it. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. We do a lot of stuff on instinct and uh, I forget if this was from this book or not, but like if you ask someone to pantomime the hand motions they make when they're turning a car, they actually do it incorrectly. What like turning left and turning right. Yeah. People do that the wrong way. Well, you actually did it correctly. But, but. <laughs> but, I, but I know what you mean. And that's that's true, I think, because it's counterintuitive, especially like in reversing. Um, uh-huh. We were trying to get my fiance into, her, into the garage because it snowed crazy in Denver this week and the my parking lot was like kind of plowed in that there was like room for like one car but since the the snow piles were three feet tall she couldn't like back into spots to try and angle in mm. and so trying to tell her from standing behind the car like go this way or like turn left and then you know see how the wheels work when you're trying to like three point turn in it's it's not super intuitive i guess unless you are painting a picture in your head of what your wheels are doing while you're doing it rather than just doing what what you feel like you're doing i guess i'm getting at is driving is confusing um but i did like there was one note on here when is rolling through a stop sign permissible never question mark um and then you just mentioned driving exams when i took my driving exam i was told the first thing he said when when we stopped was like you didn't stop once during your exam here's your here's your permit you did a good job (laughs) oh my god okay (laughs) yeah so i think when i took my driver's exam i knew that not stopping at any red was an immediate fail so i stopped at every single stupid stop sign but there are some stop signs that i literally do not stop for I, I i will slow down check but it's such a low traffic and more importantly there's some red lights that i don't stop for because they're ridiculous they're in places where they shouldn't be there is no traffic in any direction for quite a ways I, if i were to stop at that red stop sign first of all i am burning the total amount of useful human productive minutes in the world which is a sin by itself by sitting in that car instead of doing something fun or or productive whatever i'm also increasing air pollution by burning gasoline unnecessarily sitting at that red light there are some red lights that one should run if one is a moral person are you talking that one on yosemite that is for a bike lane that's on a timer or excuse me on a path lane that's on a timer oh my god if you're heading towards bellevue because there's it's not even another lane of traffic it's for a bike lane that doesn't turn into a bike lane on this side of the road on the on the west side so it's just for like people i guess riding riding or walking across to a bike path over there but it's on a timer that's and ridiculous. so yeah that's would, not the one i was talking about because that that's one that i've i've thought of running before i i guess i'm never in that much of a rush but i totally get the impulse because i'm sitting there i guess i never want to risk a ticket but mm-hmm. for me i'm sitting at this light and knowing that there's i'm not stopped for anybody and that we're, we're all stopping here at this line going both ways and there's no cross traffic because it's not another street. Mm-hmm. And why is it on a fucking timer? Put it on a button and then stop traffic for the one asshole who wants to stop traffic to cross the street. That's fine. <laughs> everyone needs to cross. But it's hard not to hate the person that stops traffic. to, to But everyone's got to get somewhere. 
Anyway, it was funny. I'm, I don't think I, I must not have encountered a go through a red light or something during my test. Cause I didn't run a red light. Mm-hmm. What I did is I guess came to rolling stops for my right turns at red lights and then stop signs. So I just distinctly remember that was the thing. That was the first thing you said was you didn't stop once. <laughs> <laughs> and then gave you the permit. Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, it's hard not to pass, I guess. Yeah. Um, my mom taught me the wrong way to parallel park. Oh. And so I did that during the exam and the guy's like, all right, pull out and then do it again, but do it this way. And then I was able to do it correctly. And he was like, all right, <laughs> do it that way from now on. That's hilarious. Is the way your mom taught you just as effective? No. Oh, okay. It's the wrong way. to. I don't know what she was thinking. Ah. I've got one here from Mordinamail, but it's too long for me to read because you guys hear how I read things. <laughs> so I want someone else to read it. But it was on the censorship episode that we did. Um, I got it. Mordinamail says, y'all seem to agree that yelling fire in a crowded theater should be punishable. On that level, you all agree that censorship has its uses. In that particular case, the harm of the speech is immediate and obvious. Other kinds of speech cause less obvious, less causally direct, or less immediate harm. So the true question isn't, should censorship be permitted? Should Patreon discriminate among its clients based on the contents of their speech? Instead, it's, what kind of speech should be considered sufficiently harmful that it is censored and or otherwise disincentivized? Under basic consequentialism, I think we can all agree that there's an ethical imperative to stop someone who's calling for violence against a specific individual or group. There's probably an ethical imperative to stop someone who seems to be fomenting a mass panic. The norm of shutting down speech which directly causes harm is actually a good one. The problem, again, is what kind of speech constitutes harm when that becomes a a politicized question, and I'm not sure I trust the executives of tech companies to make those calls in a sufficiently Jean-Luc Picard fashion. Also, call back to Jean-Luc Picard because I've been listening to We've Got Worm, uh, their excellent podcast that Matt or that Matt slash Mordenamail and Scott Daly do, and they were talking about they're trying to like basically figure out whether or not the protagonist was doing the right or wrong thing, and then they and then Matt came back the next episode and he's like, you know what, I was thinking about this. I feel like the way to think about this would be WWJPD or yeah, what would John JLPD? <laughs> what would John Luke Picard do? And the answer is like, you know, never leave a man behind, never sacrifice anybody, all that, you know, the the heroic things. And so I like the the shout out to Jean-Luc here. And I I've I've heard that on more than one occasion. I think honestly Jean-Luc Picard is sort of the Jesus of the modern day. Everyone if they modeled their actions on what Jean-Luc Picard would do, we'd be living in a near ideal society. That extends to Patrick Stewart as a person. Oh, I don't know enough about Patrick Stewart. He seems to be an outstanding dude. Okay. Um, I also am really worried about ever drawing that sort of um, mythological inspiration from a real person because real people have real problems, mm -hmm. whereas mythological figures like Jean-Luc Picard can be perfect because they aren't real people. But we can try to be as close to perfect as we can. Yeah, but maybe Patrick Stewart lost his temper once and yelled at his kid or something, you know? He wasn't doing what Jean-Luc Picard would have done. <laughs> right, which is why what would Jean-Luc Picard do, not what would um, what Patrick would Pat- Stewart do. Sure. Mm, I would rather um, I would rather uh, base my, like, I don't know, I would rather idealize a real person who is a really good person. Because, like, if you have as your role model someone who doesn't actually exist, then they're going to be perfect and humans aren't perfect. I would rather watch somebody who makes mistakes and then see how they recover from those mistakes, I mm. think. Yeah, okay, that's, is, that's also useful. Yeah. The real problem with that is that in a hundred years or so, you'll find out that this real person like ate meat or did something, I don't know, talked to children, which apparently damages them psychologically. Whatever we find (laughs) out in a hundred years is a thing you can't do because it's evil that we all do today. Yeah. Yeah. Or or even something that like was frowned upon at the time, but was still awesome. Like Martin Luther King Jr. was apparently kind of womanizer and cheated on his wife and stuff. Like that sucks. Not a cool thing to do, bro. But 
doesn't mean he's not a super inspiring dude. Mm-hmm. Similar to, um, I don't know if this is true or not, but her Gandhi didn't like black people. Yeah, so, Gandhi had a bunch of problematic things about him, apparently. Yeah, and I, I think, I, I never liked the word problematic. Not not, <laughs> not, not attack, but I... I it's gotten it, very it's, politicized. I kind of used it a little tongue-in-cheek. No, there. no, yeah, and it, but it was just because it sounds like this vague sort of thing. But yeah, yeah, I mean, so he's he's got his things, but that doesn't mean that... Then again, I also, I'm not a fan of, of non-violence. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm the opposite of a fan of violence in real life. Um, but so Stephen just before heading off to his fight club, right? Yeah, but Malcolm uh, X was important too. Yeah, mm. well, I think my thing with nonviolence is the standard thing of like you know any asshole with a machete can come through and take out a whole town of nonviolent resistors, right? Eh, uh, not if they dogpile the person. That's violent, isn't it? Uh, not if you don't hurt them. I don't know. Yeah, like that. Then I guess it depends on what form of nonviolence takes. If you're supposed to just lay down and take it, a la Mahatma Gandhi, then like you're. Then again, he did it in a smart way. He said, do it in front of cameras. And, you know, he, he, he did this in a way that broadcast these atrocities to the world, which is sort mm-hmm. of the point. Um, I think a lot of the nonviolent um, activists actually were doing it strategically like that. That's good. I think um, there's, a, there's a faction of people in the Wheel of Time book series that uh, they are strictly nonviolent and in sort of like the, the idealized Gandhi way. But to the point that it's stupid, there's literally monsters running around, like orcs. And so, you know, they don't they don't defend themselves against the Wheel of Time's version of orcs, which is ridiculous. Well, you don't, Cause the orcs you don't even need to go as far as orcs. I mean, even in the real world, there's monsters like bears and wolves, which you would have to defend yourself against. I can't remember what their version is on bears and wolves. I can't remember if they're vegetarians or not. But hypothetically, they could have been. And sure, then yeah, that's... How dumb is that? I mean, yeah, does that extend to like non like living things too? Like if if a rock is rolling towards you, do you have to stand there and take it too, <laughs> or can you smash the rock? Like I'm pretty sure anything without sentience is fine. What about animals? I yeah, That's I don't know. The good question. How smart does the animal have to be before you would fight back? Like I, I'm just being like an asshole. Let's go on. <laughs> can you take antibiotics? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Can you? Uh, that seems to be like the the bottom level of where it's okay to resist. But to get back to to, to Mordena Mail's question here, um, speaking of which, Mordena Mail is a sh- is a amalgamation of two words of the ancient language and Wheel of Time. So I think this is the third time you've mentioned it. Yeah, but <laughs> well, the, the running joke on We've Got Ward is that Scott will plug his Twitter handle and then fail to pronounce Matt's in a different way every week. So ah. it's, it's it's funny, sort of an inside joke, but at least two people on the inside get it. So. Uh, so I thought it was just a fun question that I don't know if we have a quick answer to because we did talk about a bit like the what was his name Alex Jones saying some letters to these people the the actors who pretended to have kids that got shot at this fake shooting or whatever mm-hmm. that that's not I think you even considered that that was like that's just harassment and so yeah shoot you know take them off for that right yeah but then I guess it's weird because when we were talking about like the punching Nazis thing if it's just someone talking about a peaceful reclamation of, of white culture or something they could go up there and make all the right noises that sound perfectly nonviolent. but there's no such thing as a peaceful what amounts to a peaceful genocide right. right which is what you would say you would respond with there's no such thing here's why that's ridiculous and yeah but then they, they could still make the same complaints about like all oh, it last deplatformed just for expressing my my desire to not be multicultural old he multicultural fied i mean he's not deplatformed if you responded to him right that was just you saying things on your platform. Right. But what if they took him off Patreon? I don't know what, what Richard Spencer high makes his living, but if he was a podcaster or something and that this was his message, could they, would you be, would, is that cool to kick him off for being like that? It's hard to say. 
if the president gets up there and, and makes noises about not wanting to, you know, concede our, our way of life or the this insidious threat of the others, whether it's the Mexicans or the Muslims or the whatever, and then somebody runs and shoots up a synagogue and says the exact same things about the Jews he just massacred, like... One's just saying, oh, we don't want to, we will feel threatened or something. But then it seems like the very natural extension to feeling threatened is to act out against it, right? I actually think if someone did do that, it would be valuable to point out their speech and say, this is, this is what he said. This is where thinking and saying these sorts of things will get you. It'll turn you into homicidal maniac. This did happen. Yeah, I was talking exactly. about the shooting at the so, synagogue in Pennsylvania. Right. Yeah. And, and you know about it. And that's what you can say to people who are like, no, I'm I'm for the the peaceful uh, reclamation of of America for the white people. You're like people who listen to what you say go and shoot up synagogues. They quoted you in their tweet just before they did it, and therefore we're taking off Twitter. Is that being okay? No, no, not therefore no, but, we're taking but, but, off but, Twitter. That that is helping people see why you don't want to say and think those things because it drives you into becoming a homicidal person that kills the innocent before he kills himself or has the police cut him down. I think the person who says those things and inspires those maniacs is fully aware of what they're doing and they're doing it on purpose. And so they're, they're not going to be dissuaded by the fact that people are actually running with what they're saying. Okay. They'll, they'll make noises about, oh, they shouldn't have done that. That's not what I meant. But, or maybe they mean it, but for my thought experiment, whatever, pretending that they're not. I see. You think he's secretly happy because that'll make people of that minority scared to live in this country and move away. That sounds like the kind of thing that sounds super plausible. Yeah. And if it's not plausible for a real person, which I think it is, then it's plausible for a fake person for the sake of argument. Right. And then at that point, it's I think that's sort of like, is that sufficiently harmful to say, all right, cool, fuck you. We're taking away your, your access on our platform. It's 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 slippery, and I I don't I didn't bring this I, I don't want to talk about Mardinamel's submission because I thought it was an easy one. I thought it was just kind of fun. Yeah. Now this is a good way to reframe that discussion we had too. Like uh, we were pointing out a bunch of specific examples about this. This would be bad and should be punishable. This seems fine, but like, yeah, if if you can make rules about what kind of speech should be banned and versus not, but uh, <laughs> yeah, then I don't know. You get into all the stuff that you guys were just talking about. Like, there's ways that you could uh have plausible deniability. Yeah, it gets weird. I think at some point you would be able once they've said enough things to make a case that they are complicit in it. Yeah, that would be like evidence against them. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking specifically, uh, Eliezer has on more than one occasion said, don't ever, ever do any violence to anyone based on something they've said. That argument always gets counter argument, never gets a bullet. So in everything I've ever seen of him, he's been very explicit about don't do bad things like shooting up places, don't ever enact violence against people. And I don't think you could ever make a case that he is complicit in something like that. Whereas I'm pretty sure someone like Richard Spencer, you wouldn't have to dig very far at all to see him saying things like, yeah, you know, I, I'm kind of glad they're scared now. I hope I hope that continues. And at that point, you could probably not actually in, in our society, but ideally you could take someone to court and say you are threatening people. Yeah, you're inciting violence. Yeah, you're inciting violence. Yeah, but it wouldn't be like a bunch of rules that you would have to write ahead of time. And then you could judge each individual like, you know, thing that a person says. Uh, you'd have to actually look at the history of what they've been saying and then what their cause is. Yeah. So, but that's uh, probably like a more sensible way to do this, actually. Yeah, I think being able to make a good case that someone is actually inciting violence is what we would need. Although I do agree that I don't think that executives of companies 
or the PR departments of companies are good at making those decisions. I think that they're just in it for whatever will make them look the best to the majority of their user base. Yeah. Like, I could easily see someone uh, kicking off um, Liam Neeson for being like, oh, that racist asshole, we don't want him on our platform. Sure. Right after he said that. But like you said, they've got to make a reasonable case that this person was like this, right? I mean, under a due process system, yes. But uh, if right now, Patreon or Twitter, no, they, they wouldn't have to. They'd be like, oh, he said this thing. He's out of here. We have all these people calling for his blood. Yeah, and he, and he confessed to doing something. If that were a court, if you went and confessed to doing a crime, like... He confessed to wanting to commit a crime. Yeah. yeah. But that's not illegal yet, is it? No, but uh, talking about... Yeah, I don't know. Um, That's not illegal, but, but it might get him banned from a platform for, like, doing wrong speech. In his specific case, he wasn't saying, and this was awesome, go, you know, I mm-hmm. hope people take this message and go forth and, and beat people up. Right. No system of due process would ever find him guilty. I think even, like, a reasonable public process shouldn't either right like because again his his message you know due process might not find richard spencer guilty which is fine due process should be should be limited that way probably and you know whatever i'm not a lawyer but it, it should be it's it's hard to get somebody convicted of a crime that should be the case but with ne- liam neeson's thing he couldn't have been, I, I can't think of a way it could possibly have been better given that he once thought bad things for a few weeks in his youth in his youth in the in the middle of you know the ira car bombing ireland in it 40 years ago like i don't know man who who in 60 years hasn't had a bad thought right Mm -hmm. there was a great thing i saw it on might have been on not wholesome memes it was not wholesome enough for wholesome memes but some nice (laughs) subreddit that was like decent memes yeah (laughs) we're okay memes but but it was just like somebody's it was a capture of a tweet that was like progress happens people change 15 years ago i was lightly transphobic i was passively sexist like just because you grow up with ideas then you overcome them and i i've had i i was raised in an environment that let that had me instill some bad ideas and i shook them off but god forbid if i had a podcast 20 years or what how old am i 10 20 15 years ago (laughs) who cares and i had said some of these things back then right and i wasn't like a I didn't have the power or just, you know, was never in it enough to advocate for whatever. But people people grow and change. I don't know what I'm trying to get at here. Other than I think I'm, I've gotten distracted because you weren't drawing an equivalency. Between, you were trying to, I think, point out how muddy the line is because whatever Robert's, Richard Spencer falls under, Liam Neeson might fall under it too. But I, I, I can't see them as more different. No, no, I agree that I absolutely agree with you 100%. The way that the mob treats the two of them yeah. is almost identical yeah and for that reason since the the social media pr departments respond to the mob i don't think they are a good arbiter of this sort of thing okay i see what you're saying i think so you're saying censorship isn't the way to go from the from the point of view of the of the platform owner right because they're going to do whatever the mob wants because the mob uses their platform the most Mm -hmm. all right but the the rational the sensible there are some things that are actually yeah that should be stopped from being spread fair enough such as direct incitement to violence yeah yeah and there are things that shouldn't be stopped from being said yeah cool even if they're shitty things if they're not hurting anyone i mean even if they are hurting deliberately. people like race saying I mean, racist things does hurt people yeah and yet i, I, I still mean, think like, it should physically. be okay to say that <laughs> oh okay yeah or uh yeah like hurt, hurting people's feelings shouldn't be illegal Unless it's like a harassment campaign or something. Interesting side note, Morden Mail brought up the uh, the standard example of uh, we all agree that yelling fire in a crowded theater should be punishable, which I'm sure we all do. But assuming the theater isn't on fire. Yes. Apparently this was a thing that happened a lot where there were bad theater fires and just hundreds would die. 
either in the fire or in the stampede to get out. Anyways, this came from a Supreme Court case where a justice pointed this out, that uh, that should be punishable. The Supreme Court case in question was a man being tried for saying that uh, the draft in World War I should not be a thing, that the draft was unconscionable and uh, we should move away from a draft system. And they sent him to jail because he said, I have freedom of speech, I can say this thing. And they're like, this is the equivalent of yelling fire in a crowded theater, you're going to jail. So uh, That's a slimy way to... to to employ that sort of reasoning, isn't it? Uh, you know, but I think we all think so nowadays. Yeah. It's Yeah, it really shows you how much society has changed and how good arguments can be used in bad causes. Yeah, that's that's a danger. I mean, that's, I think... Because we did eventually get rid of the draft because we do think it's unconscionable. I mean, that's something that, you know, like you said, using good arguments for bad reasons is something that I think every aspiring rationalist tries not to do. That's sort of like the inverse of that Dan Dennett thing I've repeated over and over of like bad arguments for positions I agree with. Mm-hmm. It's like good arguments for positions I hate, but that's, that that's different. Cause you can't quite do that. Cause that's not really, I mean, I guess now in today's context, that's not the same. The fire, th- the government decided that he was directly endangering people's lives by saying that people shouldn't be pressed into the military. He was threatening the security of the nation by doing this, which is as bad as yelling fire in a crowded yeah. theater. It's interesting in the context of world war one, they make a somewhat compelling point. Well, World Maybe War One wasn't the same as come. World War Two. No, but I think, and I guess I'm not a historian, but just in the context of like, we need bodies. The world wasn't at risk because we didn't have nukes yet, but whatever. Our way of life might have been something like that, right? I don't, or like I don't think we had to get involved. I'm not a, I'm not a historian, so I'm speaking up my ass. But I could see a context in which that thing kind of is defensible. Like, look, you can't be telling, you can't be making these really good points about how people <laughs> shouldn't be joining because we need them to. So you need to shut the fuck up, or we're going to make you shut up. I can imagine a world in which that is a good argument to make. Not saying that our world is it. In my world, I would say if you really think the war is both this important and this just, you should make a counter-argument to that effect so that people will agree that the draft is a good thing, as opposed to silencing me and throwing me in jail for talking. Yeah, like appeal to patriotism instead of appeal to, like, here's some facts about uh, future predictions. But, but we don't have the time yeah. during the war to engage you in your platform and your in your discourse where we're currently fighting. We we'll we need to throw more bodies into this exactly. clusterfuck. Yeah. War is weird. Glad glad the draft is gone. Although I did get and subsequently throw away without opening my, like, you've been enrolled in the, whatever you call Selective it. Selective service? Selective service, yeah. When I, on my, I think, can't even write them, like, the week that I turned 18, too. Uh, we are going to cut this from the podcast because that is technically illegal. I just got the letter saying I was enrolled. Um, How did you get enrolled? Because I was a guy and I turned eighteen. They just sent it to you. Yeah, okay. they, they just sent me a thing that yeah, you're you're in this. If if we call a draft, we're call, we might call you. Oh, uh, when I turned eighteen, they had a whole bunch of things at our high school saying, "All right, everybody's got to sign up for this now." Interesting. I, maybe they automated it. I don't really know. Yeah, maybe they have. Or maybe because I didn't read it, I don't really know what it said. But my brother opened his and I skimmed his. So okay, and it just said you're in now. I'm pretty sure, but now that I'm now that you've pointed this out i might have been wrong maybe it said you need to call us and sign up but no one ever came by to my house with it to arrest me so well um it's absolutely unenforced no one really cares huh all right it's been unenforced for decades well i mean you can leave that in or out we talked about drug use before too so although one it's true yeah who cares yeah yeah you're right and this the is that there's more people in jail for drugs than the zero people that are, have been hurt by this thing if, we should get to the less wrong stuff and get to the rest of the feedback I was later say that yeah all right, we've got a, almost a couple hours worth of feedback. Yeah. So I think it's time to move on to... We have more feedback, which we will get to later. There's always more feedback. Maybe maybe next episode, maybe we'll do an episode of something else and then get back to feedback. But yeah, there's more. We're sorry we didn't get to more. 
but thanks for having conversations on stuff. It's nice. Um, there, are, I already saw some stuff today on GPT-2 on the subreddit. So Yeah, there is a uh, lot, actually. Yeah, it's exciting. By all means, go forth and continue saying stuff and talk with each other and us, and we're happy to engage as often as we can. So Heck yeah. If you can find other people in your town to talk with, that is even better. And if you can't, there's a subreddit. So. Exactly. <laughs> uh, alrighty, on to our less wrong posts. All right. So the previous ones were kind of setting up like, what's a bias? You should tell our listeners what we're doing that we hadn't mentioned before. Three instead of two. Oh, yes. Uh, we are doing three. I think I put this in the show notes. I can't remember. We're doing three. Sequences posts. Se- thank you. Three sequences posts this this episode because the second two are both pretty short and the th- third one's really short and it really fits in the, with the second one. My thousand foot view of all three of these is that, and the last couple, is that Yudkowsky is just setting up like what a bias is. What What is... What are biases? And then in the context of what he's talking about, you know, it's like not math, not statistics, not analysis. We're, we're, he's moving into talking about cognitive biases and because he's going to spend the next two years writing about them. So I think he wants to make it dead clear what he's what he's on about. So with that in mind, the first post we're talking about is useful statistical biases, which is the opposite of what he talked about in the last post. Who's our statistician who wants to talk about this one? <laughs> None of us. Um. I think you. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, Yukoski says that bias in humans means a particular tendency, trend, inclination, feeling, or opinion, especially one that is preconceived or unreasoned. And then says bias in statistics means a systematic as opposed to a random distortion of a statistic as a result of a sampling procedure. So those are two different meanings of the word bias. And, uh, I think that this is kind of just tackling the fact that people confuse the one word for the other when they start talking about like tackling biases or how we can get rid of biases. He points out that sometimes biases in statistical analysis are useful for simplifying and removing noise from things, which makes your estimate ultimately slightly less accurate, but on the other hand also reduces crazy variances. If one particular subvariable uh, sub has large swings, it'll possibly move your data more than you want it to move based on that one little thing, and so you'll underweight it a little bit, which is a statistical bias, but which also makes things easier to model and to predict. And so he said sometimes they can be useful in statistical modeling. And gave a bunch of math to it too, which uh, it's hard to get into on the podcast, especially with three non-math people. <laughs> yeah, and for me, my eyes glaze over at that because it's I, I take the message and I'll take his word for it on the numbers. Like, yes, it's lazy, but it's also, I don't know, I feel like if he was pulling the numbers out of his ass somebody would have called him out by now and i'm pretty sure that that's not what was going on so yeah i think he's he's a math nerd that's that's his like to him that's that's easy that's probably easier than talking in english and he's good at talking in english so i don't have much to say about it other than he's laying out that there are cases yeah where statistical biases can be useful in the specific context of statistics yeah um, um it's accepted because you can't get precise data you can't measure the biases directions and magnitude otherwise you'd subtract it out so you'd try to get rid of bias in statistics too if you were able to with cognitive bias you do have some idea of the direction of your error and the whole point of rationality is the attempt to subtract that out yeah that's probably all we need to say about that yep moving on to error of crowds the error of crowds so this one is a direct response to the wisdom of crowds which is a really fascinating book have you guys read it before or do you know about it i guess i know about i haven't it. read it either yeah yeah Basically, it gives a whole bunch of examples about places where everyone was trying to figure out something or guess something, and every single person was individually wrong, some more than others. But when you averaged all of their guesses, I guess, for lack of a better word, together, the average was startlingly close. 
like in in a surprising way in one case uh they asked a whole bunch of people who were not experts in the subject but who had some knowledge in the subject about where a i believe it was a russian sub went down because no one really knows where it went but they know where there was last contact with it and what the sea currents were and there have been some efforts to find it before and everyone was off by quite a bit but the surprising thing is if you averaged uh what everybody said the actual location was really close to that average guess, while whereas everyone individually was off quite a bit. And the idea, the explanation was that most likely everyone had some little piece of data and a whole bunch of noise that they thought but were wrong about. And when you took everybody's guesses, everything that they were right about all kind of pointed in the same direction, everything that they were wrong about kind of pointed randomly and all canceled each other out in the wash. So you just sort of get the the useful information left in the end. This sounds like a very humbling and inspiring message that we should be more modest and just taking everyone's opinions and then amalgamate on the truth. Is is that the way I should take this, Inyash? That is exactly how you should take it, Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, we, we, at the very top of the post, he links back to an old uh, Overcoming Bias post where the author says... I've kind of decided that I'm just going to take the average human population position on everything because I'm pretty sure I cannot do better than the average of everyone. Therefore, God is real. You know, right? Yeah. And if he was around a few hundred years ago, therefore, slavery is okay, etc., etc. Yeah, which on the one hand kind of strikes you as dumb. But on the other hand, if you take this logic far enough, it's like hard to argue with him. We've we got a... A sign on the, it's kind of a long little thing. It's on the, this cool scroll thing that uh, my fiance got and we put by the front door of our home. It's a long quote, but the, the end thing is, and it uses the word crazy in a way that today wouldn't be considered acceptable, but it's an old quote. And it's like the crazy ones are the ones who are willing to like go out on a limb and they're the only ones that make change and make progress. And this this sounds, this this modesty argument here sounds like a great, arg a great argument against that. Copernicus is crazy sort of thing, right? It looks like you were trying to say something too. Um... Actually, like, I just lost my train of thought because I was thinking about that. Okay. <laughs> I, I got sidetracked thinking about the sign being, like, crazy people are the ones who make change. And you were saying that that was not a accepted use of that word. But, like, I feel like the people who are the people that make change tend to be, like, non-neurotypical. So, like, in a way, it's still kind of correct. There was a guy who wrote a book, and he was on Julia Gillow's podcast. It wasn't about this controversy. It was about the actual content of the book, which I can't remember the actual name of, which tells something about it. The original name was How to Think Like a Crazy Philosopher. And oh, yeah. there was enough pushback against that's ableist language, ableist, and that's that's putting down people with mental illness and stuff. And I think it's very clear from like the message of like you know I think a crazy philosopher. Like I get exactly what he's trying to say, and yeah. I, I feel like no one can say in good faith that they didn't get what he was saying. It was just whatever Twitter mob. Not to say that there's not a, a mean way to use the word crazy, but that's not what I'm doing. Yeah, that's, that, not, that's using not using it as a pejorative. I don't, think so. I don't think so either. If anything, it was like, you want to think like a crazy philosopher. Not like you want to have manic depression, right? <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, yeah, that, that's what I was getting at with, with the crazy on there being not necessarily something everyone would be on board with. It's interesting, the words that become taboo over time. Yeah. Yeah. And in 10 years, somebody will be Twitter mobbed for using the word crazy in a tweet in 2019, right? So uh, I don't think it'll take 10 years. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it'll be next year. <laughs> anyway, uh, in the era of crowds, uh, Yukoski talks about prediction diversity, which is the squared error of the collective predicting, equaling the average squared error minus the predictive diversity, meaning the more diversity in a group, the smaller the error of the crowd. Then he asks, why should the bias variance decomposition be relevant to modesty? Because it seems to show the error of averaging all the estimates together is lower than the typical error of the individual estimate. 
But then he goes to say that you shouldn't be more modest and compromise a little based on this. Because predictive bias assumes that actors aren't predicting like Bayesians. A quote, as Einstein put it, insofar as the expressions of mathematics refer to reality, they're not certain. And insofar as they are certain, they don't refer to reality. Hey, you've got to do it in a really offensive German accent. Oh. No, no, that's fine. <laughs> do you oh, want to do that? I don't make you do it, no. Whenever I hear, whenever I read an Einstein quote, I, I, I hear it kind of in his voice or like the way that I've heard his voice portrayed. Um. <laughs> uh, anyway, the real modesty argument, Omen's agreement theorem, or Almen, has preconditions. AET depends on agents computing their beliefs in a particular way. AAT's conclusions can be false in any particular case if the agents don't reason as Bayesians. And then he goes to this example about the students and the math problem. Does somebody else want to go? Sure. So he uses a lot of math here. <laughs> and I I kind of stopped following it. And I found that the for the for la- this week and last week, it's really been useful for me to read the post, then put it aside and just do something else for an hour or two and then come back and read it again. And it seems to have like filtered in or something or maybe i got the past the initial um intimidation of the math but when i came back and read it a second time it worked better for me yeah that's how like you solve hard math problems a lot of it is actually done in a what was it there's there's a terminology for this and i'm not having a good brain day subconscious yeah basically the subconscious there was um i called it shower thoughts (laughs) uh uh-huh i guess oh it's a diffuse mode okay there's like focused mode and diffuse mode and apparently you kind of like process stuff with the front of your brain. I'm not even sure if it's actually like the front, the prefrontal cortex or whatever, but like there's a part of your brain that's like focused on like concentrating on something and working on it and it gets tired quickly. But then there's like this background part of your brain that is able to work on things and chew on them for much longer. I had been banging my head on a programming problem this afternoon for like an hour and finally like, all right, fine, I'm gonna get up and get a, get a, get some water and take a break. Less than five minutes, I'm waiting. I'm like, wait, I, c- I should try this. And I got it fixed. Nice. I think it's that kind of thing. And yeah, that kind of thing happens all the time. That's yeah. like how your brain works. Just give it a chance to get away from that stuff. That's mm-hmm. why you have uh, ideas and inspiration through dreams sometimes, too. Kind of. I, I mean, I'm, yeah. Dreams are I, weird, actually. But I see what you're saying. It's certainly maybe just a good night's sleep. And then you come back to it on a fresh brain, but one that you didn't know was exercising all night in weird ways. And then boom, thoughts. So what I got out of this after I got past all the math was that Eliezer really dislikes this whole wisdom of the crowds thing and thinks that, well, he said in the previous uh, post that he he suspects these might be cherry-picked examples and this isn't as useful as they were claiming in the book. But he uses math to reduce this to an abductio ad absurdum, which I think wasn't really needed because... In the very top of the post, he linked to that guy who said, I'm going to take the average of all human opinions on everything uh, in all seriousness. And Steve and me were both like, aha, well, that shows how ridiculous this is. That was our reducto right there. We didn't need all the math. Uh, but he goes and he posits this. I think he's proving his case with numbers. Exactly. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he went I, um... and, and posits this case where uh, it's a very specific case with a math problem and a classroom. And the math problem has like a gotcha in it. So all the students will get the wrong answer, but they'll all get it in one direction. But they don't know which direction it's in. And the t- score that the teacher will give them is based on the square root of their error. Which means that uh, when all this piled on top of each other means that if the students have the ac- option to either talk with each other about the problem and try to figure things out and get a better answer or to plug their ears while everyone else is talking so that they can't hear anything and just go with a random answer such as their own, uh, that they are better off plugging their ears. 
Because in all the other uh, examples given, once everyone pooled everything, pooled their data, uh, pooled their guesses, they came up with something better. In this case, if they all did that, they would come up with something worse since the score was based on the square root of the, the difference. Anyway, it's a bunch of complicated math stuff, but Eliezer's reductio here is that here is a specific situation where increasing your knowledge of something will also make you worse off. So the best thing you can do is not get more knowledge and go with the dumber answer that you had. Mm. And uh, I, I see how he did that with math, and I can see how... If you've proven that in one case this is absolutely absurd, you have just proven that this is not a rule that always holds, but I didn't really need that, and it was such a fringe edge case that it also really didn't do much for me. I think I think it's much more compelling to people who are high into math and and would understand this on a more intuitive level why it's so breaky, uh, whereas for me, just that top blog post was more impactful than obviously it was for Eliezer. Yeah, I'm not super mathy, but I actually wasn't like really convinced until I got to the math problem part. Oh, really? I think then that's why you put it in there for. Yeah. I think you're more mathy than you give yourself credit for. If it landed for you, that's the way. It, that's the way it was intended. Uh, maybe he wasn't just flexing his math. <laughs> I actually summarized this article as Yukowski's annoyed by some commonly held notions of prediction diversity and decides to destroy it with math. You know, at the end, he does point out that he thinks the students should actually talk to each other, but then goes on to say that. That says something more positive about the value of conversation and not about averaging answers. I think it just annoys him that, like, the, this idea of, oh, well, we should always average answers. Like, that's not how you would solve a math problem. Uh, that's not how you should solve problems of reality either, because you might come across one of these kinds of uh, cases where there is some kind of gotcha in reality. Like, the evidence does all lean in a weird direction for some reason. You yeah. want to actually be calibrating as, like, best as you can. He's, and he's, not just going off of heuristic, like, well, if we just average everybody's answers, then it seems to do good. He spent a number of posts now kind of laying the groundwork for sometimes the massive people are wrong and you have to be revolutionary and think in weird ways. Yeah, and that's going to be kind of a recurring theme over all those sequences. So, next one? Yeah. All right, next one's short. And it's just sort of a, another example or another framing of that, of the of the previous post. That's why I wanted to lump it into this one. Yeah, can, can I summarize this one? Yeah, and then we can do our like experiment. Yeah. <laughs> Let me see if I can do a short version. Uh, in this article, so Yukowski... This one was called The Majority is Always oh, yeah. Wrong. The Majority is Always Wrong, um, which was about kind of pondering the anti-majoritarian effects, by which he means instances where the most popular idea or tool is not actually the best idea or tool. So, like, of course, he noticed it. He was talking to a coworker about probability and thought that it was really odd that frequentism, which is the predominant view in mainstream statistics, is the worst of the three major alternatives. Um, he brings up another example where the Dvorak, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but it's a keyword structure, um, which is seemingly easier on the fingers than the ones that we all, like the standard one we use, the QWERTY. Dvorak was specifically designed so that the keys that are used most in the English language are directly under your fingers, and the f less often a key is used, the further away it is, as opposed to the QWERTY keyboard where... Only one of the vowels is directly under your fingers, which is ridiculous. <laughs> you have to reach like a madman for some of these letters that are used a ton, whereas you barely have to reach at all to, for use Q, which whoever uses Q, right? <laughs> yeah, he then uh, asserts, in any case where you've got, one, a popularity effect, uh, it's easier to use something other people are using, and two, a more dominant alternative, plus a few small niche alternatives, then the most dominant alternative will probably be the worst of the lot, or at least strictly superior to none of the others. And then he asks the commenters to think of counterexamples. 
he gave the example of uh, Macs and PCs, which this was back in the day. Younger listeners will have to remember that. PCs were really popular and uh, were used by a ton of people. Macs were kind of a niche that not too many people used. And uh, there was an old saying that Mac users had uh, that saying, if Macs really were worse than Windows PCs, no one would use them. The point being that there is a big popular thing that everyone uses, and there's a small thing which only some people use. There's a lot of pressure to use the thing that everyone uses due to network effects. Everyone is using Windows. Everyone is using Word and Excel, so you can transfer files between those easily. So the popular thing has a lot of staying power. If there is a smaller group that is worse, no one is going to use that because in addition to not having the popularity drive behind it, it's actually worse. It would have to be better than the popular thing for anyone to use it at all. And just like now, Macs are always more expensive. Right. So like... If you're going to shell out three times the cost for a computer that's also worse, yeah. then they'd all be idiots. And so they're, they're kind of just observing that if it was worse and more expensive and didn't have all these benefits, nobody would be doing it. That, mm. that proves that there's something there. W- what else could explain it? You know, uh, some think... weird hipsterism? I guess people like people listening to records? Kind hmm. of. Robin Hanson had a pretty good answer to that in the comments. He said that less popular choices must have advantages to compensate for their unpopularity, but it doesn't mean that they're better. Many small religious sects are bound together stronger for being persecuted minorities, and that bond may well be the advantage that they seek. And you can probably think of more examples in that vein. Yeah. Where that, something being small and niche, like that kind of hipsterism. Yeah, that was actually a good intuition pump. I didn't read the comments. That would have been giving me something to think about. Because, yeah, I mean, I think the records thing might be something to run with a little bit there. Because, yeah, then at the end, he challenges people to think of their own examples. And I threw out some jokey ones and one serious one. But what was the serious one? I think Ford versus like Honda and Subaru. Is Ford uh, more popular? Um, I don't know which is more popular. I guess that's. I guess I. I didn't. I should have looked that up, or at least had some idea before I think about it. I just know that people people buy Ford, people buy Hondas. Since the cost is roughly about equal, to me, it's a no brainer. I don't know a ton about cars, but I've worked on some of of several kinds, and I've just seen how long they last. And my understanding, I haven't lived long enough to drive a lot of cars to the grave, but if your Ford is going 150,000 miles, that's like really good. If your Honda makes it 300,000, that's really good. Mm-hmm. It's like you're getting twice as long of life out of this car. Um, but yeah, I think, I don't know, people still buy records, but they're not buying it. Well, I guess they're buying it A for the signaling value of yes, I listen to records. Cannonball Jenkins was on and made a joke about that once. He said he was listening to his record. Yes, I listened to records. So I'm better than you. Uh, but he <laughs> did yes, it. Yes, I am then, better than you. <laughs> yeah, he did say that, but he was doing it in a nudge, nudge, wink, wink way. But I mean, there's something about the audio quality. People aren't. I don't think anyone can maintain that. Like it sounds more like listening to the music in the recording studio. It sounds like listening to a record, and that has this authentic feel to it. And it does. So if that's what you're going for, that's that's so that's not a good example. There were a lot of comments pointing out that uh, there are a lot of cases where the most popular thing is the best thing. I think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, that, that sounds like it would be also sort of tautological, right? Like, of course, the best thing is going to win out a lot. So I don't know. I I don't have a, a great example. I didn't. I thought we could kind of do this on the fly, but I'm way more tired than I thought I was going to be. Yeah, I kind of was able to think of examples where somebody might want to buy something because it's cheaper. Uh, I don't think that's like maybe what Eliezer was thinking of, or uh, but like I, I would be willing to take a hit on quality for something if it's cheaper to an extent. Yeah, depending on what it is, for sure. Um, or to like reduce uh, decision fatigue. <laughs> yeah, I think the whole PC Master Race thing is kind of an example of this. PCs really are better for gaming. 
but they're harder to use and they're a lot more expensive and and their interface looks crappy <laughs> and that's why everyone buys uh, consoles instead i was going to bring up that example too but i thought that there's there's conversation there i guess because i don't game on a pc because i don't own a pc but i guess i don't play games enough to invest in a good gaming pc like i could buy a 400 dollars desktop pc and, and game on that but then i'm not getting what the real true gamers are getting out of it you know yeah. I, I need an, i need a 700 hundred dollar graphics card just to play this at the ultimate res that only the pc can can visualize but it Even, but that's more just like i play games for casual fun and for that purpose like the con- and the controller is comfortable but you can play plug a controller into some of the stuff too you can and if i was practiced at a keyboard and mouse i could do that even better the controller is uh, specifically what i have issues with the keyboard and mouse is just such a much better interface system for gaming that there's no comparison which is why i don't think it's even that important to have the best gaming card i mean you can if you're really into it and you want things to be ultra beautiful but even like with not the hot, top of the line graphics i still think pcs are better i'd rather have a PC that costs more and has worth gra- worse graphics than my PS4 or my Xbox than uh, to have the Xbox because I could use a controller. Uh, not a controller, but I could use a mouse and keyboard. I just value having my video games separate from my like work. <laughs> mm, okay. That was the reason that I would get a console. So it's in another room and it's got this specific video game time context. Yeah. I guess I, I've been a console gamer since I was a kid. Like I got my first Sega Genesis when I was under... 10 years old well under i think and there wasn't sonic the hedgehog on a pc in 1996 like i doubt it no i don't um, think so you know i think it was just sort of for me like historical effects and then cascades the rest of your life where you know you mentioned how like coworkers are like family and stuff so when i was at the pizzeria the only reason i got an xbox one was because all my coworkers were getting it and i wanted to continue playing games with them yeah. so since you couldn't play from any other game console or gaming platform whether pc or whatever and play the next call of duty with your friends then i had to get the the xbox yeah, I don't know. I would have been able to think of examples or make a case for like maybe iPhones over Androids or something. But that case is getting flimsier and flimsier over the last few years. So um, I'm out of Android. I'm out of Steam. I can't yeah. think of one. Yeah. We should wrap this up then. Probably about time to do that. Yeah, we got some stuff covered here. There's a bunch of other feedback I want to get to, especially yeah. Mordinamail's awesome thing about uh, static time and why things matter. But we should get that next time because oh, yeah. it's late. That was a good one. That yeah. was a really good one. All right. Well, we'll hit all this stuff at some point. Everyone stay in there. Yeah. All right. Some point soon, even. Yes. Yeah, skimming through the rest of our notes, we've got, like, you know, video game section movies, which we talked about plenty, so thanks for bearing with us. <laughs> I don't know that we need those sections. No, I put those in there back in the early days of making notes here. <laughs> and then Steven stirred the pot. I feel like we did that with Liam Neeson, so. Um, <laughs> all right. Yep. Oh, wait. Before we thank the Patreon, what is an omelet, and how do I... Umlaut. I think it's an, the O with the two dots over it. Yeah. How is that pronounced? Uh, usually Umla- it's pronounced by drawing it out a bit. Uh, I've heard the best way to think of it as an American is if the letter was written twice, such as in cooperate in most other languages, that would be an O with an umlaut over it instead of two O's. I think, yeah, you say it O instead of A, right? Yeah, you just draw it out a bit. Okay. Like instead of motley crew, it would be motley crew. Fair enough. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, we got this. So... So our patron for this episode is Simon Coder. I did that terribly. <laughs> There's a little note that says the O in uh, Coder has an omla, and uh, I don't know. I tried. It's late. Thank you, Simon. Yes, thanks, we're, Simon. We're sorry for butchering your name or for not being... Thank you, Simon. Yeah. I'm... God, it's late. Uh, but yeah. we do want to especially take time always out to thank our patrons because it 
it really does help us. Yeah. And I've said that a lot. I feel like a broken record when you get to this part. It's hard not to, but it, the sentiment's the same. It's yeah. like, for me, it's, you know, the, the money's very, very helpful and very thoughtful. For mm-hmm. me, it's the fact that people care enough to actually, you know, want to support this financially. And I, I don't know. It. I think Enosh joked one time that, you know, it's the unit of caring and that proves that you guys appreciate it. And that's pretty literal sense that that, that means something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and, and it is. We are reminded of that caring every single time the episode comes out. Which yeah. is which is nice because, like, people don't have the energy to comment every single time or be like, "Hey, great, great show, guys!" Every time. And honestly, we couldn't read all those emails. If people did all that. Yeah, we but can't just... even get their feedback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. And to people who don't uh, have the means or desire to support financially, that's totally cool. There's iTunes. Leave a rating and review. This gets you know more notices in the iTunes algorithm store, whatever. My understanding is that it also wants like a review, not just a rating. Hmm. for some stupid reason so you know i think either you, one is good but yeah yeah but, but if review you have, is even better. but if you have a chance to write a sentence or you know anything just to, i think that helps with algorithm but that's not really super important to me just put like good podcast yeah like a thumbs up emoji and like that's fine <laughs> exactly that's and, all we want <laughs> and i think like i said that just makes it easier to find and, and it shows up better in like you know trending searches or something but um, the other way people find it is by being by hearing about it. So, you know, if you like the show, you can share it. You can talk about it. All that stuff we've talked about. So that's all I've got. Do we do another thing at every episode? I can't remember. <laughs> I don't think so. I think we're good. I think we're good. Yeah. All right. Turns out there was actually one thing we forgot to do. The less wrong posts that we will be reading next week are Knowing About Biases Can Hurt People and Debiasing as Non-Self-Destruction. Thanks for bringing with us, everybody. Bang with me. We're gonna go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> Good night, everybody. The blizzard here has us all tired in <laughs> hibernating mode, so. Yeah. Alright. Thanks again. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Peace out. Bye. <laughs>